Hello everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapira and with me... Hello, I'm Sean Edry. No more mutants. Well, Marvel is trying. We're heading there. But... Marvel is certainly trying. <laughs> uh, this is a comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Seaport, the best online and unusual source for comic books, news, reviews, and critique. Buy their books, read their... Uh, buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. Sorry, misspoke. I'm tired, I'm tired. It's cool. And remember, Sequart is on Patreon. Support smart criticism in comics. So, Sean, shall we go on straight to the news? Let's jump right in because we have a scoop that no one is talking about. So, DC did a little bait and switch between Jeff Darrow and Frank Miller, who, as I'm sure you know, their artistic styles are almost identical. So, who would have known? Except what happened was... Uh, Jeff Darrow was solicited for a mini-comic based on, uh, I think it was to be included in one of yeah, the Dark Yeah, in Knight every issue editions. of Dark Knight 3, there's a mini-comic written and drawn, written by Frank Miller and drawn by someone else. The first issue we reviewed it was, I think, Klaus Hansen. I think so. So, so issue Jeff Darrow three, was solicited. Yeah, for issue number three or okay. four. It turned out that the actual mini-comic was being drawn by, if I'm not mistaken, Art Adams with no, 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 uh, J- John Romita Jr. John Romita Jr. Yes. with, uh, Art Miller Inc. by Miller. Yeah, Miller Inky. Okay. Not Jeff Darrow. No. So, this was a bit of a question mark, and ally of the podcast and local boy wonder Hagai Pilevsky figured why not just ask the source? So he asked Jeff Darrow, what's going on? Apparently, DC solicited Jeff Darrow as the artist of this mini comic without actually asking him. And Jeff Darrow was not so happy about it. Apparently, DC apologized and it's water under the bridge. But I have to ask. Mr. DiDio, we, Tom and I both love Image and we give them hell for their failure of communication. What on God's green earth made you think that you could pull a bait and switch after orders were placed and be like, well, we said Jeff Darrow was here, but we never actually bothered to ask him. And it turns out he's not interested in doing it and, for whatever reason. And Jeff Darrow is legitimately someone you buy an issue just to see his art because a Jeff Darrow art piece in, you know, in within pages, not just a cover. It's that name spikes extre- sales. It's extremely rare. The last thing he did was the Shaolin Cowboy Mini from Dark Horse. That was two years. No, sorry. Uh, big, big guy and Rusty the Boy Robot mm. short story. For Dark Horse Presents number one. That's a year and a half ago. That's the last time we've seen a Jeff Darrow interior art. I have no doubt that retailers jumped on that issue because it was Jeff Darrow. <clears throat> and DC, radio silence. Not a word of apology, nothing. All they did was post well, a they apologized of the for Darrow. They apologized to Darrow, but not to the retailers <clears throat> who... I mean, as far as I know, this issue isn't returnable. Well, There's now no it is. If If... By by law, if if what you promise in the previews is not the thing that you deliver, it's returnable. So this, retailers, no can one choose. has mentioned it. I'm sure that there will be returns. I mean, listen, I saw ah. the preview art of the actual mini comic. 
here's there's a Hal Jordan. Oh, how am I going to put this? There's a Hal Jordan ass shot in which it looks like his entire backside is imploding into a quantum singularity. I know he has a no, stick up his no, butt, but I don't think it's no, supposed to look like that. And, and see, here's the thing. I don't think there's going to be lots of returns because Dark Knight 3 sells by the truck load, by the bunch loads, by the something loads. It's not a thing that you need to bait readers to. Because no, but you have to admit that knowing that Darrow was writing a, a mini-comic. And in fact, there was this sketch posted afterwards mm. of Superman and Batman on like this very crowded Gotham Street. Looked fantastic. Had nothing to do with the mini-comic. So clearly, you know, Darrow's name brings in more sales than... Yeah, I'm just saying... Dark Knight 3... It's not, it's not only a mistake, it's an unnecessary mistake. I mean, exactly. Jack, Jack Darrow's name will spike sales, but not... Something like this, something like Dark Knight 3 doesn't need the name Jeff Darrow because it has the name Frank Miller and whatever scraps of respect and audience appreciation it can bring it's already we can see the sales for the first issue it's already huge and yet the what? next issue has been delayed to february what? there's something going on with this book beyond the yes it is a sales juggernaut i wouldn't say, I wouldn't say juggernaut one issue does not constitute juggernaut. No, no, well, especially since i mean uh, those of you who listen to house to astonish uh paul and al recently did the sales analysis the trends are going downwards. First issue smash hits are not what they used to be. So we don't really know how this series is going to end in terms of sales. And that's the real thing. Like you can start with 170,000 copies and then issue 250,000. You, you never know how these things go. But it, this does seem to be a book that's having some problems. And this little stunt with Daryl, like I can't, usually I can sort of see what DC were trying to do. Here, like, I don't understand how you could solicit an artist, especially an artist of, like, Darrow's caliber, and not actually secure him for the position. Yeah, I that mean, seems you, really you would assume they would try, because Darrow and Miller did a lot, well, not a lot, they did two big collaborations in the mid-90s, and they were both very good, hard-boiled, is great, Bigga and Rusty also. I'm sure. <clears throat> but, like, you don't even yeah. ask. And then, like, Darrow was irritated. You pissed off a person of considerable talent hmm. who could have contributed to. I I don't know. Like I well, do know, not understand you know, what's going on. You know, here. I want to say good because if Darrow doesn't draw this, that means he can draw something else, which I actually want to read. In like, theory, that's true. Yeah, I mean, another Shaolin Cowboy, another big guy short story, another anything by Jeff Darrow. Dear Jeff, if you build it, they will come. I will come. Okay. Okay. Trouble in paradise, or rather, in hell. So Fox's Hellfire Club has run into a bit of an obstacle because showrunners Evan Katz and Manny Cotto have abandoned the project. They have jumped ship to the uh, 24 remake, Sans Kiefer Sutherland. There's a 24 remake. Mm -hmm. There's a remake of the TV show Follow 24. The, okay, di digest it. It's okay. Process that information. There's a remake of 24 that does not star Kiefer Sutherland. A remake in... They're using just the name of the show. They're using the plot structure. They're recasting the character. Whatever I like how you're is. assuming that I cared enough to look that up. I didn't watch 24 when it was 24. I watched four hours of 24, I think. I, that's about, that sounds about enough. That yeah, sounds appropriate. Yeah. In any event, so the show seems to be in a bit of a tailspin. Um, as usual, I just keep defaulting to I don't understand why this show exists. They have made, Fox has stated that both this series and Legion, Legion have nothing to do with any version of the X-Men that have seen 
screen time. Not not even the film, but like it doesn't connect to anything. And I think that's in, a lot. No, I in theory I think that's good because there is something to the to both of these concepts. Legion, you know, the multi personality anti hero, okay, with strange powers and different personalities to every power. That's an interesting enough of idea by itself. You can make a show out of it. And Hellfire Club, you do you do a mid sixties villains trying to rule over the world, sexy costume drama thing. Again, in theory, fine. If somebody just suggested that as a concept, fine by me. The stumbling block that I have here is the issue that you could take these basic premises, right? A, a superhero with multiple personalities. Every personality has its own power. Uh, a group of villains who are manipulating things in the shadows. Why do they have to be licensed properties? If these were original properties, first of all, you avoid the trap of, you know, incurring the wrath of the audience that you're trying to appeal to by saying, okay, this is Emma Frost, but we cast another really bad actress in the role. Uh, or, you know, Legion, we're not going to mention who his father is because that works so great in the X-Men films, right? So, you know, my mom knew someone who could manipulate metal. I well, mean, why do you do it? We return to uh, administrator. Sure. Admi- no, no, administrator logic. Comic book movies and TV show sell. Therefore, we have to make sure that whatever we do has to have a comic book connection. Okay. Otherwise, I- it won't it won't be successful. Or even more than that, somebody suggested the show. Somebody went to a network and said, "Oh, I have this brilliant idea for a TV show about a guy with multiple personalities," and they told him, "Well." It sounds fine, but we only do comic book TV shows right now. We really want a comic book TV show. So we just went to Wikipedia, searched comic book superheroes, multiple personalities, okay. and found Crazy Jen. And he said, no, 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 I wanted the male, you know, uh, main actor. Right. And then he found Legion. He's like, oh, perfect. No, well, no, no. Legion and then, probably would have turned up first. Yeah, I mean, and then he went, search, he's, he's yeah, and then he went to the network and like, hello, I would like to offer you a Legion TV show. It has nothing to do with my previous suggestion. The only problem I have with that logic is that you would think that Fox, for example, might actually be more interested in pursuing original programming along that line because then they would not have to deal with the whole contentious issue with with Marvel and licensing and all that. You could just sidestep have you, all that have you watched, by stealing the main idea. Have you watched the Fox X-Men movie? They don't care about the continuity within the movies themselves or so the TV show. Throw it away. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. I, I, if this show never comes to be, I won't feel like we were robbed. Of yeah, some but I'm, I'm kind thing. of interested. I'm kind of interested. We'll see how it goes. Even if it's just perverse interest. Speaking of TV shows that may or may not exist at some indistinct point in the future that we know nothing about, Netflix is apparently considering a Punisher series based on John Berthold's performance in Daredevil season two, which we have not yet seen. Which we have not yet seen. Here's my take on that. I think that on the one hand, thus far, right, basing our assessment on the two Netflix series that we've already seen and what we know of Luke Cage so far in terms of casting, casting does seem to be a priority for them. So if they are impressed by John Berndahl, I have to believe it's because he really is doing well in that form. I mean, I wasn't super impressed with him in... uh the Walking Dead. He was Shane. Yeah, okay. You know, Shane, Shane, don't come back. I, I have not watched The Walking you Dead. You have missed nothing. But in any event, so 
if they say that they're impressed enough with him, and I mean, the Punisher can be a leading figure for a miniseries. It, it, to right? me, he's been a leading figure in comics for 30 years now. Sure. Well, you, you run into sort of the obstacle of the anti-hero psychotic who... I mean, some some writers have done better with him than others. Yeah. He the, could the, be a leading the figure. The big problem, I think, with the Punisher is that we have... We had three Punisher movies. They all failed I don't think spectacularly. That matters, I don't think that matters. Because... In the same way that, you know, the failure of the Daredevil movie is washed away. No one will ever, and, and, and I'll, I'll even take that a step forward based on early reports. When Elodie Young steps up as Electra, no one will even remember that Jennifer Garner existed. I have forgotten about it. Now, the thing with the Punisher is his point of interest when you put him in the Marvel universe is that He's the kind of character who's not supposed to be in the Marvel Universe. He's the mm. 70s anti-crime. He's, he's a ripoff of, uh, what's his name? The, not the executor, the, there was a series of, uh, action novels in the mid 70s basically cranked by cheap authors. Oh, listen, this is like the, the Remo Williams, yeah, the Remo sure. Williams novels. Sure. So it was, he was basically a ripoff of these guys. Right. And he, he and he and he became int- he becomes interesting more than what these characters usually are because you put him in a context where he does not automatically belong. Mm. Years later, you can put him back in you know just doing a crime stories because if you have someone who's good enough like Garth Ennis, like Jason Aaron, you know, which they- isn't to say that Garth Ennis didn't on occasion stumble when he had to bring the Punisher into the Marvel universe. Yeah, I. I- I really like his Max one, which was basically the Punisher shirt completely of all of everything right. Marvel related. See, the, 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 the obstacle to having a Punisher Netflix series that is the same character is that, well, it's less of a problem now. Well, I'll tell you what it is. When Daredevil first aired, we knew that his confrontation with Fisk would continue on past mm. the first season. Wilson Fisk is not going to die, right? That's not going to happen. Until Jessica Jones premiered, I was thinking that they were going to go the route of don't kill your villains, they'll be coming back in the future. But Jessica Jones, spoilers for Jessica Jones, she kills Kilgrave at the end. So clearly, the Netflix series are, you know, dark enough and mature enough in their own right to say, okay, we can give Frank Castle an antagonist and he can kill that antagonist as the Punisher does without it being this horrific moment or without it being a catharsis like for Jessica it's well, significant that it's she not an horrific moment for for Frank Castle that's Tuesday sure but Optimist- that work. optimistically the way you want to do it is you start the the first episode this this guy who's supposed to be the big bad and you know he has plans and speeches and all of all of the new viewers are like ooh this guy's going to be big he's going to rock and then Castle just kills him midway exactly. through the episode. See, I would love it if they took this, the standard trope of the vigilante who takes apart the organization, flip it around. He kills off the head first and then starts tracking yeah. down all you the bring, You splinters. bring a really big actor, as big as you can allow it for that role, and everybody's, oh, yeah, that's... And, See, and, if it's not Wilson Fisk, who, who would it, like, who would you Well, consider? if you want, if you want the joke, who? Hammerhead? Uh, my, my, <laughs> Mickey Rourke is no, 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 I'm saying the actor has to be big. The, okay. The, the, the yeah. Punisher doesn't really, he has two recurring enemies, I think. He has Jigsaw, which is. Which could be done. Yeah. In a Netflix context. Yeah, but he's supposed to live. That's the whole thing. He's the, he's the one guy the Punisher can't kill completely, and that's it. Eh. Everybody, yeah, but, but everybody else, gimmick... everybody else dies. That's the point of the Punisher. Yeah. Everybody I mean, else like, dies. See, you're absolutely right. Like, you, 
I think you nailed you it. You bring in Sean Bean again. Oh, no, leave Sean Bean alone. No, Listen, and he every, survived no, in Silent Hill. Let see, him everybody thinks, oh, he's going to die in the end of the season, and no, you just kill him midway through the first episode. No, let him... Let Sean Bean be Jigsaw. Sean Austin? Was one of the Hobbits. Oh, the, the, the Hobbit guy. Yeah. I just... I mm, have... Somebody called Sean. I, I don't, don't know. I want to kill Sean's. I wonder... Gee, I wonder where you get that impulse. No, I... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Violent troubles wonder. in the smorgasbord. Yes, we will, we will fight to the death as soon as this podcast is over. No, we're not. Anyway, um... Sean we'll Austin can't play evil for nothing, though. But, again, like, I, I have to... At this point, I think after Jessica Jones, and with everything that we've heard about Luke Cage and Daredevil Season 2, I feel like I'm comfortable enough trusting them. Like, these people mm. know what they're doing. They've proven that much. Uh, movie news. We've yes. got the second trailer for The Suicide Squad. And the guy who edited basically watched the Guardians of the Galaxy first trailer and said... <sighs> That's a good idea. I should rip that off totally and utterly. So, so let me ask you something, because this is something that I was really wondering about, because I have not been following the production of the Suicide film. Would you say the, the trailer is set to Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody? It, and, and, Arlie, when you put, and Arlie Quinn is basically front and center. And when you put Bohemian Rhapsody in anything, you're implying comedy, yeah. right? You're implying screwball, fun times, whatever. Is your impression that that trailer fits the tone of the film? Well, I have not been following production. It doesn't fit the tone of David Ayer as a director because he does brutal violence, but serious, serious, grand brutal violence. And he's good at it. But, you know, they can try and why not? Not in terms of why not, because I would love for a DC movie to be fun. I know that might seem like it's asking a lot, but... I think they're aiming for a Deadpool tone, only toned down because it's PG-13, not... That would be okay. Like, yeah. If this is DC's response to Deadpool, I would be totally okay with that because I feel yeah. like the no jokes memo has gotten old. No, there's definitely got, we can you, move on. You can't do Harley Quinn and Joker the same movie and not do some kind of joke. I don't. Well, the the thing that got me here was you know you see a lot of Harley Quinn mm-hmm. in the trailer. She doesn't have the accent, and I know that seems like such a fanboy thing to say, but. You know, Tara Strong kept the accent going after no, Arlene no, Sorkin. Ar- Arlene. Arlene Sorkin started the role, yes. right? Tara Strong uh, played Harley Quinn in later iterations on in video games and animated series oh, that came I, afterwards. I didn't she know kept that. the accent, you know, mm-hmm. Mr. J, Mr. J. So it's well, weird. they changed the classic outfit. They changed a lot. It's it's okay. strange. No. and the the crazy thing is, Margot Robbie can do the accent. Like there was a, I don't know if it was a Twitter video or an Instagram mm-hmm. or something where she did the Harley Quinn voice. It's it's strange. Now I'm not I've sure. been rereading the classic Suicide Squad, preparing for Ostrander. the Ostrander run. Okay, and it's it's very good. It's one of these nineteen eighties golden age of team up books. You know, Chris Claremont's X Men, yeah. the GI Joe. It did have tech. a tendency to get derailed by crossovers, though, a lot. What the Suicide, Suicide Squad? Yeah, but mm. I think it kind of works with with it rolled with the punches. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie apparently has nothing to do with it tone-wise. It aims more for the modern, oh, we're so crazy. And we've talked last episode about Deadpool and about modern Deadpool, the classic Deadpool. And I think it's pretty much the same thing. There's this sort of flattening of the characters and none of them were super deep, but there was... I mean, you're talking about Deadshot and Killer Croc. Yeah, but the, the Ostrander gave them enough of a conflict and a personality and quirks to make them into people and modern day version 
Pursue, we so crazy, we kill people and make jokes about it, and there is nothing there. It's, you know, a bunch of crazy people shooting stuff. Okay. And it could be fun, but there isn't even the very hint of depth to it. But maybe that's and a good thing, because I'm thinking here in terms of... I mean, this is completely divorced from the TV universe, so this is Suicide Squad in a completely different iteration. And I'm thinking, in the movie... In terms of their movie output, DC could put out a movie that is shallow and fun and not have it be the end of the world. Because we already know that Batman v Superman is not going to be that. Yeah, it's going to be shallow shallow and gray. I'm thinking more brown, but Mm. probably a lot of gray. No, that's a Vertigo movie. Blue. Yeah. A lot of blue. Anyway, um, so it does seem that if they were to step outside the tone, it wouldn't be the end of the world. It's it's better than the Batman v Superman trailer. It's It's better than the first Suicide Squad trailer. Did you see the footage from Wonder Woman? Uh, bits and she's wandering in a blue forest. I'm like, look, everything is blue. I I can't take it anymore. She's blue. If she were green, she. You remember that Batman episode? Am I blue? Yes, I. Now you are. So that's a mess. Okay, let's talk about comics news a little bit. Yeah, first Sean is sad. I I have condolences are due. Uh, the last page of Egos number nine contained a letter from the writer stating that the series future was, and I quote, uncertain. In images, that means you dead. You dead, okay. you canceled, be gone. Now listen, I, that second arc was good. As good as the first. And I... Yeah, but the sales were the there. sales were low. I know the sales were low. I know that, and I know that Image is getting stronger and stronger in terms of its overall sales. I know it's getting a bigger piece of the pie, and as a result of that, it is less willing to keep no, lower it's selling not, it's titles not, it's, floating. I, don't, I know that, but no, damn it, this was see, a good series. See, I don't think it's Image. I, it's at this at Image. The point is the creators pay the price. If the comic doesn't sell. The money comes through their pockets. They lose money <sighs> but, for every issue coming up. And at least they finish the arc. There will be the second yes, but, trade. Yes, it's it's annoying. It's deeply unfortunate. It's deeply it unfortunate and it's annoying, but it's not Pisces. They didn't stop no. mid-story. Well, there's a pretty big uh, loose thread that doesn't get resolved, but... Uh, going back to the first trade. Yeah, now, but, I mean, we've I, talked I about, it. we've mentioned the House of Sony sales analysis, mm-hmm. and they, they've been talking mostly Marvel and DC. What I've been looking at, and I'm not half the expert that Paul Bryan is at these things, mm-hmm. I've been looking at image sales recently and the trends, and I think image is really overspreading themselves. I think they're launching too many new titles, and because they're, the model right now is we do a first arc, Mostly on the time, and then we wait a lot for the second arc, and then the second arc is also spread. So you have, you know, a break for six months, and then one issue, and then, I don't know, two month break. Mm. I think they have too much stuff at the same time. And when image, the image revolution, the 2010s image revolution just started, it was okay because they were, they had unique titles, mm-hmm. and none of them cannibalized because the guy liking Chew, you know, he could, he could enjoy Southern Bastards or Saga, but they weren't the same thing. But now, you can almost say that there's an image tone. Not to all the books, but if it's a sci-fi mystery. There's a mis- certain measure of if interchangeability. It, is it a sci-fi mystery in space? You must. And it's not a miniseries? Well, you must be reading an image book. 
It could be a miniseries too. You never know. No, if it's a miniseries, it's probably in boob. We've talked Venus last time. Sure, but Image does have miniseries. Yeah, as well. but I, I, I take and, your point. And You're at right. one and at one point, these things will start cannibalizing each other because you will have just like you had the Marvel Zombie, you'll have the Image Reader. Sure, and, and that's we, not to and say I think that we're like model image readers, right? If Image publishes issue one, we'll probably give it a go, unless yeah. it's by some creator we've decided in advance we don't like that guy. I mean, the appeal with Image at this point, in terms of where they are, is that first of all, it really is creator owned, and we have to give props towards a company as prominent as Image that is producing creator owned work. That's substantial. It's not something to be. I mean, Marvel icon has been dead. For a substantial amount of time, and even when it was at its supposed height, it was really just there for vanity projects. Yeah, image is of the like home. Friends of the editor. Image is the home for high quality genre pieces, which are not necessarily superheroes. Which for right. a long time we didn't have that. But you can only have so many genre pieces before the fans of your crime comic, the fans of your science fiction comic, the fans of your, and a lot of the Im- because I've been thinking back in recent years, whenever an image year. Ended, you would say, oh, what did we like from 2013? What did we like from 2014? In 2015, I think the only thing that was big was the sender and everything else kind of got lost in the background. I had to reread all of the number, not reread the number ones, reread all of the previews to remember what was launched this year. Because you remember Ryan? That was a thing. There was a fantasy comics called Rain. Rain. Right. R-E-Y-N. Well, that didn't interest me from the beginning. I mean, it was yeah. Kel Simon, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, but see, yeah. You, you didn't even but, know yeah, this. But, the, but in that Citizen. situation, it's okay. Because when you're talking about creator-owned work, it's natural that you would gravitate towards creators that you have an affinity for. Image doesn't really do well in terms of introducing new talent. But for example, if they were to publish... Um, Someone that we like. Not just Brian. Noel Stevenson? Noel Stevenson could go to Image. You know, people who have a certain name and reputation already, those books succeed, I think, on the strength of the people who are saying, okay, it's Ed Brubaker. I like Ed Brubaker. Mm -hmm. I'll buy Ed Brubaker. I like, what was the name of the guy who did bodies? Size Spurrier. Yeah. Size Spurrier. There's a new Size Spurrier comic. Let's go see what it is. They don't really... The fact that they, that these creators all choose to write genre pieces is, I think, more indicative of the things that they don't get to do with the big two. Cause these are people who've been around for a while, usually. It's, it's very rare to have an image writer who doesn't have yeah, years but don't, of Yeah, but don't you think these things start to cannibalize one another in no, terms of audience? I don't think so. Because don't, I think the haven't audience... Haven't you reached the point of saying, well, this interests me, but I just don't have the time and the money for I'll, it? I'll give you a perfect example, right? Real-life perfect example. So, Southern Cross. I picked up Southern Cross only on the presence of Becky Cloonan. That was the only reason I had to even look at it, Right. Invisible Republic had a similar angle of there's like this futuristic uh, mystery, da, 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 da. Invisible Republic, I ditched after the first issue or two mm. because I could see, I, don't, I didn't know who this person was. I didn't care. Southern Cross, I made it to the end of the first arc and then dumped it because it wasn't good either. But in any event, that was a situation where the decision I made between two comics that had largely similar premises and, and you know, they're both genre pieces was completely determined by the creator. In the same way that if Curtis J. Weeby... I mean, listen, Pisces flopped. That's It is what it is. If Curtis J. Weeby announces, like... First of all, he's, he has said that 2016 is the year Peter Panzerfrost ends. 
I'm holding him to that. If he starts another series, people will be like, that's the guy who created Rat Queens. Let's take a look. Pisces is going to leave people on shaky ground because clearly image from their own perspective don't feel it's, I guess they were, they're really only willing to go that so far. Again, image doesn't find us these things. Image, Maybe they should. No, Im- but that's the whole point of image. They're just, they give you the publicity space. Okay. By by publishing an image, you're promised at previews you, you appear after Marvel and DC, and now just after DC because Marvel has their own little booklet. Okay. So, but I do and think you're promised that in that to case, be big in people's head. But like the only it. way we, I, I think, why we in particular might be feeling a bit of fatigue is because a lot of creators at Image are people that we like. So when there are all of these releases that seem similar. You and I, as readers who, you know, we like Spurrier and Brubaker and Vaughn, we have a much larger cache of writers that we we want to look at. So it might feel tiring to us. I don't think that that would be the case for general image readers Mm -hmm. because they follow the names. And usually if you're a fan of a certain writer, it's difficult for them to let you down. That's what I think. Okay. Uh, Shall we go on to the previews? There is one other bit of news. Mm-hmm. Apparently, a biblical flood is arriving at the Marvel Universe. And God or Uatu or Stanley, whatever, has said, go forth and bring the superheroes two by two. Male and female or not, oh, it's right. up to you. Yeah, right. So there's going to be a new Captain America title. And it's going to be Captain America Steve Rogers. Sorry, the old Captain America who running- is no longer old. Yeah, running con- old as in up until now, if you haven't been reading comics, Steve Rogers has become old because some plot device during the Rick Remender run. Whatever. And now he's young again and he's up and running. Botox Concur- is a hell of a thing. Concurrently with the other Captain America title, Captain America Sam Will. Well, it's going to be renamed Captain America Sam Wilson. <sighs> also, there's apparently a new... Give me ca- the count here. Okay, so we have two Captain Americas. Yes. We have two Spider-Man. one and a half Wolverines, right? Because yeah. X-23 is Wolverine, but there's also Old Man Logan. Logan. Yeah. How many Spider-Men do we have? Two. 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 We have Miles Morales, Peter Parker. How many Spider-Women do we have? Well, technically two, unless you count Silk, in which case it's three. But three. we shouldn't count Silk. It's like counting okay. Scarlet Spider as a Spider-Man. Two Spider-Women. Yeah. Uh, how many... Ooh, this is getting a thing. We two have two Hulk. Hulks. Yes. No, wait. Is Red Hulk still around? He's not real Hulk. We have two guys actually called the Hulk because right. the regular Hulk appears okay. in the Avengers books. So they are all getting into an arc yeah. and they're in for 40 days and 40 nights. What can I tell you? I mean, I don't know. I think they may be pushing it. We'll talk about Marvel. Also, two Thors, right? Or is old? Well, I haven't still been doing following. This, this is the thing. Like, there's, Aaron himself is still insisting that the guy we know as Thor is Odin's son. Yes. But in practice, when you see this guy, you're like, who is this? It's Thor. So, yeah, two Thors. I, I don't, I, I don't think that that's a strategy that's going to work for them. I, I can understand. It's, you know what it reminded me of? There was a period, I think we, we must have talked about this on the podcast at some point. There was a period early 21st century, the aughts, early aughts, where it seemed like Marvel was moving towards a place of Quietly getting rid of some stable characters. So Morrison kills off Magneto. Brubaker kills off the Red Skull. Daredevil, uh, Bendis, he doesn't kill Wilson Fisk, but sort of gets rid of him in a very final way. 
And it seemed like they were saying, okay, let's try some new thing. Let's finally move on. And then it all sort of snapped back one well, after he, the other. That's and the, now we're just saying, let's just, we can't get rid of Peter Parker, right? What would we do without Peter Parker? But we also need someone who's not Peter Parker. So let's just have them both be Spider-Man. It's the old illusion of change thing. And here's the thing about these characters. They are not characters. No. They are concepts. They are ideas and ideals. And you you can only stretch it so far before it snaps back. And Spider-Man, by not committing, but by not committing to that, they're only ensuring that the Marvel zombies, you know, their hardcore readers, are going to reject the new one anyway. That's just inertia, right? But we so knew, who's Spider-Man? He's Peter but Parker. Why? Because Steve, Miles Morales. Is but here's also. the thing: we knew Steve Rogers would be back. We knew. We did, but I don't. And we know Peter Parker will be back. And but when this I was say two we, years. and when I say will be back, I'm saying he's back now because he's in a book called Spider-Man Deadpool. Who's there? The Spider-Man they want people to talk about, not the Spider-Man appearing in a. There's the problem. Th- yeah, the problem. There's, is that there's four Spider-Man t- books right only now, right? Four? And only one of them has Miles Morales. Yeah. But, so you have International Spider-Man. Something. And you have Sp- I don't even know. And you have Spidey about the young Spider-Man, and you have Spider-Man Deadpool. So you have- And I think Peter Parker appears in Spider-Man 2099. I'm not and sure. And possibly that. in the Avengers titles. Some, oh, one of- God. No, he's not in the Avengers titles. He quit he's the Avengers. He's not in Mark Wade's Avengers, but I don't know about the- No, other no, no. One. He, he quit the Avengers. That's the whole oh, engine beyond um, Deadpool. Spider-Man, Spider-Man quit the Avengers because he fought like, Deadpool. It's not going to work. You cannot have two characters competing for one iconic mantle, because what's going to happen is that inertia will inevitably win out. Setting aside the influence of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, setting all of that aside and just looking at the kind of reader that you are selling these $5 comics to in the hopes that they'll buy them, we'll get to that. Um, people are just going to say, so Sam Wilson is the black Captain America. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, he's the other Captain the America. The other Captain America. Uh, and you know, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that they're falling into the same trap that DC did, which is you have a legacy character who belongs to a different ethnicity, and then you're keeping the original around. So Jaime Reyes is always going to be the Hispanic Blue Beetle, the other Blue Beetle. There and was now this, Miles Morales is yeah, the Black Spider. There, there was the joke Chris Sims made about DC in which legacies work in reverse. Yeah. Beca- because, uh, Choi, Ryan Choi got Ryan killed Choi off. had to die, so. Ray Palmer came So back. Ray Palmer could be yeah. the, the Adam again. Because people really cared about Ray Palmer Adam. Didn't you know? People, people begged for I Ray had Palmer. strong titles. feelings for Ray Palmer. Said no one ever. A strong apathy. Well, listen, maybe now because of the whole CW thing, but they couldn't have predicted that back then. Yeah. It's just, you know, they're, they're, they're undoing their own work. It's Penelope at the, at the loom here. You know, you're picking apart your own tapestry and sabotaging any attempt to really change things the up. Because thing. they got a lot of mileage out of the idea that you were going to have like the new trinity of female Thor, black Captain America, and whatever the hell they were doing with Iron Man, I certainly don't know. And then Jerk that's Iron just Man. done. That's just like, they're not well, even bothering to keep up the illusion the, anymore. The funny thing would be if they're totally uncoordinated with their movie side, and by the end of, I don't know, Captain America Civil War, uh, Chris Evans says, well, I want to quit. And they say, well, okay, uh, who's playing Falcon? Anthony Mackie. And they're saying, well, Anthony Mackie is Captain America right now. And then Marvel in the comic department are like, oh, oh, damn it. Uh, bring him back. Bring, bring him back, back. Bring him back. Nick Spencer. Where's Nick Spencer? Come on. Come back. And it's 
I'm sort of hoping it's not true. I'm sort of hoping they're not going there. They're publishing. They're really pushing Civil War 2 with a uh, major no. character will die. Mm-mm. No. And you're thinking, no, they're not. If they're going to kill Falcon there, the internet will screw Falcon, sorry. You know, if they're going to kill... Black Eye has to die in a human Yeah, if they're going to kill Sam Wilson, the internet will scream. Bendis, and they, we would be right. Bendis does not have the balls to do it. I'm, I'm saying that... Well, see, he, the premise of Civil War 2 concerns a character who can see the future. Let me do a little prognosticating myself now. Brian Bendis will not do that. Well, let's not know. Oh, it's about being smart. That's a stupid thing to do. We'll talk about that. Oh, I we'll get it. Once Civil War Two is mm. solicited, I'm sure we'll have a so, lot to say about it. So, speaking of Marvel and Civil War... Solicitations! Wars, yes, solicitations. Let's do it. Uh, Black Panther number one. We've talked about this before, written by Tanaishi Coates. I'm hoping I'm saying it right. I'm I think it's Tanaishi Coates. Yeah. Hoping. And drawn by Brian Starfleeze with half a billion variant covers. <laughs> and it's Marvel, so... Five dollars forty pages, which is okay. a real stumbling block for me. It is. We've talked about this book on the podcast before. Now this is a very, very rare situation where I'm going to say four ninety nine is I can't say what it is because this is a PG thirteen podcast. But for Tana Easy Code specifically, in terms of this experiment of let's take Black Panther and try to break out of the shadow of Christopher Priest. Because that's what it is, right? The the difficulty that writers had with using Black Panther after Christopher Priest was that they were not Christopher Priest. Tennessee Coates could do To it. be fair, nobody but Christopher Priest is Christopher Priest until they find a way to clone him. Well, but that's Which the thing. I think he will object to. Coates might... He might do it. He might have an angle here that goes... That successfully defines a we'll new see. kind of Black no. Panther. For that specifically, I'd say, listen, the four ninety nine thing is a sticking point, but it's one that for this book I'm willing to. But they're basically saying with this price point is this is not for new audience. This is not Marvel is outreaching for someone who might have not read the Marvel comics because new audience doesn't pick a tiny floppy of forty pages, which I assume including commercials, mm-hmm. and say I will pay five dollars for this right now. This- the thing if is, if you want to attract new audience, you make the first issue cheap. That's conventional. And for Marvel, knowledge. three dollars is cheap. The reason, not even no, one. But I, but I know why they're doing this. The reason that Marvel is gambling on this specifically is because these are the April 2016 solicitations. Civil War debuts in March. They will be betting that people will be coming out of the studio being okay because we know Black Panther is in this movie. They're betting on people coming out of there and being, oh, who is this Black Panther? We want to read about him. And here's a comic featuring this character that you just saw in that movie by a guy who has a certain reputation outside of the comics industry. Again, like, I, I, I understand their thinking. It's wrong because $5, you know, if you're targeting the audience who are into the MCU and are not readers, I don't know that they would pay that as opposed to, you know, I'll wait for the Civil War Blu-ray. I can do that. And here's the thing. We're going to review issue one because we're going to review it. But otherwise, I will wait for the collection. It's I very will not, difficult I am to... not going to pay. No. I, I'm well, sorry. Well, hang on. We don't know if the second issue will also be 499. If it is, I'm just dropping it there. Because I do want to see I'm what Kirk is doing. At this point, I don't care if Tanaishi Coates is the second coming of Jack Kirby to comics. Mm. See, 499 is never acceptable. But we have to acknowledge. Well, it is if you're publishing 60 pages. Which they're not. Yeah. yeah. But... We do have to acknowledge the 
the importance of this issue. Well, Beyond that, we'll see what happens. Yeah, okay, Sean, your pick. A four ninety nine comic that I am not willing to buy, however, for all my tentative interest in it, is... So Charles Soleil, there's a name we haven't heard in a while, <laughs> is teaming up with Phil Noto for Poe Dameron number one. This is a new Star Wars ongoing. Setting aside the fact that I think we may be reaching the tipping point here in terms of content because the... Okay, so Poe Dameron's popularity has exploded online since The Force Awakens. Not surprising. Oscar Isaac is a fantastic Oscar Isaac, actor. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's great. So mo- and and people want to know more well about up. him. The movie doesn't give him a lot to do. Yeah, the, which is probably part of the mystique. Yeah, the 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 original plan was for him to die. Right, halfway f- even earlier for the movie. He wasn't supposed to be a main character until they saw Oscar Isaac and said, "Well." J.J. Uh, Abrams loves that. We track. can't, we can't kill Oscar Isaac. He healed off Greg Grunberg in the first issue, like the first five minutes of Lost was that pilot mm-hmm. who ends up getting killed. He loves that trick. Okay. But it was probably a good idea to keep him alive because he's extremely popular at the moment. Charles Soleil has been doing solid work in the Star Wars milieu so far. He did Lando. Lando was fine. But you Phil Noto is like a very good artist. Phil Noto is a great artist. I've, the cover art looks great. Yeah, you know, but not five dollars. I don't. Yeah. I, I like Poe Dameron, but here's the thing: for seven dollars, I can buy a novel that tells us a Poe Dameron story. I'm feeling, I'm feeling like we're reaching the pulp fiction point. Aren't here. we? The the point about it's a five dollar shake. Oh, it's a good shake. It's not a five dollar shake. There it's you gonna go. be a good shake. It's going to be a good comic. It's that's, not going to be a $5 worth of comic. That's what it is, though. That is exactly what it is. It's reaching... When comics are reaching the point where they cost the same as novels... And listen, let's be realistic here, right? A Poe Dameron comic will not give you as much of the character as, say, a 300-page book, right? Yeah. So, listen... It's not going to happen. And that's okay. too bad. Okay. Now, here's one I'm considering buying simply because it's some of my favorite artists ever. Okay. Gwenpool number one. That's the Gwenpool ongoing. Ugh. That's a spinoff of an ongoing series based on a joke from a cover. Why? Why? Well, it's written by Christopher Hastings, who's fine. It's drawn by Guru Hero. Uh See, I adore Guru Hero. I do too, but I know what they're I, doing here. This is four ninety nine too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, to hell with that. I, so I think I'm buying just the first issue because I I adore Guru Hero. They're I great. do too. They're but awesome. You see, this is the this is how Marvel is trying to get us, right? They're not making five ninety nine comics where it's like four ninety nine comics, I should say, uh, which are. I don't even know. Avengers, the next book of the next of the next mm. of the next. Uh, no, they're charging you for stuff that's tempting you deliberately, but I, I can't justify it, you know? Gwenpool, there is a possibility that Gwenpool will be an entertaining read, right? Christopher Hastings is okay. He's not a bad writer, but, and if this book were $3.99, I'd be like, you know what? Let's try it. But $5 is a line that is very, very difficult to cross. Like, the only reason I even said that Black Panther 1 could cross that line is because of the historical significance. Uh, I'm not just, it's not justified for Poe Dameron, whether he turns out to be gay or not. That's a whole discussion that's been going on lately. I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know what they'll decide. Doesn't matter. That's not something that 
justifies the price point, and neither is Gwenpool. And neither is Jeff Lemire's Moon Knight, which he's doing with Greg Smallwood, which is Moon Knight set in an insane asylum. And I want to read that. I do. Even, I mean, it is known, it is a known fact that Lemire's superhero work is not as good as his original stuff. He's still a pretty good writer. Very, very few things are. He's very talented. Not for 99. Absolutely not. Okay, on the odd side, we're going to the collection point of Marvel Comics, which... Okay, I have a few other number ones, but yeah, let's yeah. jump for the trade. Avengers K, book one, Avengers vs. Ultron TPB, written, written by C. Yon Park and translated by Jion Park. Oh my god, is this, that what I think it is? That's the Korean version of Avengers, oh. published by Marvel, by Disney Korea, translated to English. Okay... So, wow. So it's uh Avengers vs. Ultron story, originally based on a script by Jim Zub, and then rewritten for the Korean audience, with penciling by Wu Bin Choi. Hang on, and this now, started as a Jim Zub script that uh, was Jim translated Zub, to Jim Korean? Jim Zub wrote, wrote the plot, and then they rewrote it ah, for okay. the local audience, Okay. which I assume the plot is the Avengers hit Ultron, Ultron Probably. hits them back. That, that sounds right. Okay, that's well, um, a, that's interesting. It is, isn't that, it? That's so. We haven't is, seen a Marvel because we haven't any. We haven't seen anything from a Marvel foreign office since event Marvel UK closed down, right? Wait, wasn't Spider Man India? No, that was a Marvel original. Oh, mm. it was written by Americans, as far as I recall. Oh, that makes so much sense. Well, there was, now. no, sorry, there was the Spider Man manga in the mid nineties, right? There was a whole bunch of mangas in the in, no, no, in the early two thousands. No, not the Marvel, not the Marvel manga verse nonsense thing. The actual. Manga of Spider-Man written by people from that. Japan. I seem to recall. Maybe I'm okay. mistaken. But yeah, it's it's an odd thing. We have not seen the like of it. Hmm. We have not seen the like of it since. Is a this long, the long team while. that includes White Fox? Uh okay. Let's see. That's an interesting question yeah, because okay. she was created explicitly for. It seems to be a Korean rewrite audience. of the original story because they're mentioning the creation of the Vision. So the original appearance so this of Ultron is a film. This is a film adaptation, then. No, 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 no. It's uh, just you know av- they're redoing the Avengers origin. But well, the, the origin, origin not happen. the Avengers origin. They're redoing the original Ultron story for a new audience for the new century. But did the original the original Ultron story didn't have Vision in it. Did he it? was in the second or third. he turned up later. Yeah, but not much later. Hmm. What even an Android could cry was very early during the Avengers one. It's hmm. I, so I assume it's the Korean version of these Marvel uh, season one graphic novels, and I wouldn't be we... surprised if it does take after the movies because the movies have been very <laughs> successful in China specifically. And well, that's Korea, so that's right. different. It's interesting. Do we have any data on Koreans like uh, the Korean market for superheroes? I have no idea. I don't know what that. Well, listen, I, I'm assuming if they're putting out a trade, yeah. presumably it was successful enough to warrant that. Anything else? A few other things at Marvel. So there's another Spider event for the two of you left who care. Spider Women crossing Spider Gwen, Silk, and Spider Woman. It's Jason Latour, Dennis Hopeless, Robbie Thompson. Look, I want to, I want to applaud the existence of this event. I want to applaud Marvel's decision to put female characters. I mean, how often, let me like break your brain on this. When was the last time you saw a female led Crossover event. Not Axis. Swords of Sorrow from Dynamite last year. Mm. I win. 
you do win. But does that count? Yes. It was written entirely by women about women with women creators doing women characters. Let me narrow that down then. Superheroes. Red Sonia is superhero. No, she is not. Okay, we'll talk about so- that. Okay, sorry. No, 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 think about it. Because this really was yeah. something that... I, when they did the Spider-Verse event, it was still Peter Parker at the center, right? Secret Wars, who would you say is the main character there? Uh, Doom, Reed Richards, whatever. Yeah, you're saying Axis. good for them. For me, it smells of desperation. These titles have Probably. barely got off the ground and already you're throwing them into a crossover. No, I have no doubt. I mean, this is a marketing tactic. And I what's, it, what's it called? The Spider Women. No, that's that's actual the name. That's of the name. Mm-hmm. Because I remember reading about something called the Spiderfly phenomenon, which was supposed to be Spider-Man Silk crossover. But I don't know nothing about that. Because it would be so Marvel have to have three, like two Marvel, two Spider crossovers at the same time. Sure, that's that's absolutely. And I'm just done. I'm tired. Again, I don't... this is a crossover that I appreciate in principle because they're doing the right thing. It is also so mired in marketing muck. Then I'm not going to look at it. So screw that. Bravo for the alliteration. Thank you. I t- I learned from the best. I learned from Lee. Uh, okay. The a few other things. So I've been enjoying Doctor Strange, uh, Jason Aaron's current run. It's, As you should. It's okay. They're doing a companion series, which I don't know what that means. It's called Doctor Strange: The Last Days of Magic. These seem to be short stories based on Aaron's art. There's work by Jerry Duggan, James Robinson, and Aaron. Art by Mar- Mike Perkins. What Danilo it sounds Bailey like is Apple quick Chan. Dr. Strange sells. Let us piggyback on that as fast but, as we can before the sales drop again. Mm, also, it's an it excuse. Is, it's, it's, an excu- it's an excuse for them to do another number one. But it's an anthology book. Which is unusual for, for Well, Marvel. but they don't call it a mythology, right? They're calling it Doctor Strange Last Days of Magic number the, what one. What they're calling it is a companion series. No, no, I'm saying I'm the title. You come into the store, you see right. a Doctor Strange number one, another Doctor Strange number they one. You really should have used, what was the name of that title that Doctor Strange used to be in that wasn't called Doctor Strange? Strange Tales. Strange Tales. That would have been a much better title. Mm-hmm. Assuming that's what this is. Again, like, it's very unclear. I'll take a look at it because Aaron Strange really has been good. But I don't know what else is going on over there. Another anthology title. Uh, yeah. Year of Marvels, The Mm. Amazing Number One, written by Ryan North and Amy Chu with art by uh, Daniello Beruf Mm -hmm. and Ryan, Rianne Brown. Okay. So it's, it's a very, (laughs) I'm trying to wrap my, the solicitation text is very unclear. Yeah. My understanding, and I could be wrong about this, is that they're going for a 12 issue anthology that is themed after specific months and seasons. So for this issue. So it's DC's 52 only 12. 12. 12, yeah. And being specifically named after months. So, for example, we have uh, Ryan North doing Peter Parker and Amy Chu doing Scott Lang in this issue. That's interesting. I I don't know. Again, like clarity is sort of an issue here. Like I don't know what's going on. I don't know what it is. Because here's the thing. And I'm sorry because these are good creators. All of them. They are. It sounds like. We and it a, is four ninety nine again. Yeah, and it sounds like we found a bunch of short stories in the draw, and we're gonna yeah. put them back and we're gonna slap them on something. Mm-hmm. So far, we've been talking about mixed feelings, ambivalence, etc. 
There's one Marvel book that I must draw our attention to because it listen, costs only four dollars. Listen, it costs only four dollars for the first issue. Drawn, no. drawn by the great Stuart Immonen. Not what I was talking about, but oh. go with that. Go with that. <laughs> okay, because this is not the book that I was it, going to recommend. Oh, sorry. It's the one Marvel number one that only costs four dollars for the first issue. Mm. Uh, Mark Millar's and, and Stuart Immonen. I'm, I'm leaving. Goodbye. Empress number one. Listen, I can it, still exist. I'm I'm kind of shocked by the fact that I can still exist. So much anger right now because everything about this sounds good. It like the plot is described. The high concept is the wife of basically an arch villain, right? Like a, yeah. a, a sort of Ming the Merciless type. Yes. She decides to leave him with her kids, her wits, her bodyguards, and three guns. Like she's on the run. I really want to read this, and it's also three ninety nine. And Stuart Eminent on art. And it's you, Mark Miller. You know what, you know what I really want? I want to see the movie adaptation, which would be better yes, than the original yes, source. Yes. I will. If they make this a movie, I'll they, be like they, front seat. That's I'll, what, I might even that, watch it more than once. Cause this sounds so cool. That's what but Miller I is know. doing now. Miller is doing a pitch. That's a, I, that's a movie pitch if I ever saw one. I know. I know this for a fact. For absolute certainty that he's going to be his usual shock jock shallow ass self and literally any other writer could have done this book so much better than he's going to. I want to read this so much, but not for gratuitous rape. Any other writer? Not anybody else except for maybe Jeff Loeb. But think about this for a second, right? If this were a more serious take on the Venture Brothers... And Dr. Monarch's girlfriend is like, listen, I'm out. Taking the kids, taking the... on the run, and he's after her. That would be cool. Okay, we should... I want to wrap up Marvel mm-hmm. with... This is what I was actually going to talk about. A historical day, indeed. Miracle Man, the Silver Age, number three. This is it, people. This is what we have been waiting for. From the moment Joe Quesada said, we've got Miracle Man. From the moment Neil Gaiman said... I'm coming back, Mark Buckingham is coming back, and we are going to finish this bitch. Now they are finally here. This is the issue that was never published. This is the one that continues the story of the Silver Age. There are three issues, and then it's the Dark Age, six issues. And this is, I mean, the weight of 20 years of history are behind this issue. This is what we've been waiting for. Everything up until now... It's been great to re-experience Miracle Man. It's been great to see it again in high quality. That's been fantastic. This is the one we were waiting for. April 2016, hopefully. I don't know. And the, the thing is, Gaiman has been very quiet. We don't know what's going on. Nobody has asked him about the process. Nothing. There's no notice, note about this at all. So I don't know what to expect, but this is it, people. Brace yourself. This is the one. DC. DC. Okay. Harley Quinn and her gang of Harleys. That's the third Harley Quinn spin-off after Harley Quinn, Power Girl, and Harley Quinn, Little's Black Book. Mm-hmm. There are, I think, and there's also a special. So Hang there on, are, the Black Book was a one-shot, wasn't it? A miniseries. Oh, so it's still ongoing. I think it's just over and now this one begins. So, okay. And I think there's a special. So this month we have four Harley Quinn titles. That's clearly that's a su- more, no. That's a Suicide Squad. That's more than Superman. Okay. Harley Quinn officially DC's second most popular comic book character. More than Superman. More than Green Lantern. 
Definitely more than Wonder Woman. Less you... than who then? Who is mm-hmm. she second to? Batman? Batman. Okay. And that's it. Okay. And that's uh... it. It's written by Frank Thierry no. with Jimmy Palmiotti no. and no. art by Morissette. You had me and then you lost me. No. I, I wasn't going to read it anyway because I don't... <laughs> no, because I don't... Not for Frank Thierry. No, no, no. I, I just... I don't care about modern Harley Quinn comics. It, it, it's fine for the people who like them. They're definitely not for me. I'm just... There am- seems to be also some kind of ongoing storyline here. Yeah, but I'm just... I'm amazed. Also, the artist Morissette. Yeah. Alanis? No, no, no. That's with uh, a... C-E-T. Huh. I don't know. It's like it's like e- Echo who draws uh, Midnighter. Echo. <laughs> it's like... DC's artists have yeah. given up they're, last names. They're going for unconventional names. Yeah. Okay. I Okay, so I'm going to need your help with this one, Tom. So, Bloodlines number one. This is by J.T. Crow, art by no, 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 Sean, 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 you're looking at the previews for the 1990s. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, nobody would be foolish enough to bring back blood, the Bloodlines crossover so in 2016. So, so you know what this is, I don't. But before we talk about Bloodlines... Uh, listeners with long memories may have repressed what I'm about to say, for which I apologize if I'm bringing up the Apocalypse Now flashbacks, but J.T. Krull was the author of Rise of Arsenal, which won a PRISM Award for Best Representation of Mental Health Issues and or Drug Abuse, having depicted Roy Harper's sexual impotence, leading to hallucinating that his dead daughter is in fact a cat. Which he then uses to beat muggers. See, see, there's a lot of argument. The dead cat was a flail or a nunchaku. See, there's a lot of argument about this scene. It's, it's a very, it's a very artistic and hard to decipher scene because some people think he used the cat as a bludgeon and Did other, he think the cat was his, his daughter, daughter while he was hitting them? Like, no, was, did he no, think he was hitting them with his daughter? Did he weaponize Leanne? I'm, I'm other, no, other people and think... And how does that connect to Other his... people think he was defending the cat thinking it was the girl and he was beating them with his arms. What arm? Didn't he lose his arm at that point? He had a robot arm. And then, like, and all this is framed in the fact that he failed to satisfy his wife. Ex-wife. Ex-wife? Yeah, they were no longer married. <sighs> she tried to kill him several so times and nuke the country. So, so aren't you excited, like, now that you know that he's writing this? And, and then on top of award that, award-winning author. Now I need to ask you, Tom, because I sure as hell don't know. Ah, okay. What is Bloodlines? Okay, blood no- Bloodlines. Not Bloodlines, sorry. That was Image, probably. Uh, bloodlines is a mid-90s DC crossover, which ran throughout all of their annuals in, I think, 94? Okay. 94, 95, something like that. All of their annuals at the time. And the big idea was we need to introduce a lot of new characters. We need to bring new blood to this universe. Uh, oh, no. Now, it's a good idea in theory. We need, we want to introduce new characters. We need to do it through a crossover. So it's a big deal. They're not just shuffle around. Okay. So what was the premise? Okay. A bunch of aliens invade Earth. Regular DC does. stuff. Sure. And they suck the marrow fluid from the human bones. What? That's their food, and this process, for some reason, give limited amount of people superpowers. Having been, whoa, 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 whoa. okay, rewind here. They, f- okay, so the, these alien parasites feed on. Bone they're not marrow. parasites; they're big monsters. Then how did they get the? Uh, don't tell me how they get the bone marrow. I don't even want to know. It's the mid nineties. Uh, oh it out. yeah, I can, I can, I can already see how that went. So these people who develop superpowers do so as a result of. Having their bone marrow sucked out. By aliens, to be fair. By aliens. Yeah. So, where's that meme with the guy with the hair who's like, aliens, 
What? 99.999% of these characters were failed from the get-go. I can imagine. One of them called Firearm got a miniseries. An actual... Firearm? Yes. Did you just... That's a word that you just said. Firearm. <laughs> One word. Firearm. You know? Oh, weapon. okay. He had the power to turn... Because that to... sounded like a Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, 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 he had the power Sorry. to... <laughs> Sorry. Firearm. <laughs> yeah. His series survived for... Seven whole issues. Wow. But, but I am sort of indebted to this crossover because there was one character created from it which I liked very much. Oh god. Hitman. Ooh. Garth Ennis's and Ennis John McCurry. Mc- Hitman? Yeah. Garth Ennis and John McCurry. Came out Hitman. of this crossover. Yeah, of that crossover. So, Ugh. out of all that. Wait, putrid- he had the marrow sucked out of his bones yes, too? Yeah. That's how he got the powers, yes. Wow. Out of all that putridness. You wouldn't tell from Ennis's series that he was lacking bone marrow. He didn't seem like it. <laughs> so, wow. you know, from, okay. from humble beginnings, great, great trees grow. Humble is being generous, I think. So and being, now it's back. Well, not Hitman. Fortunately, I don't want anybody whose name is not Garth Ennis touching this character. And would you really want Ennis to come back, though? No. To do Hitman? Uh, well, it's, it's okay. I, yeah, it, mm. it was great. Yeah. It started, finished. It's done. 60 issues, great run. Okay. So, uh, they're bringing back the crossover for no reason whatsoever. There is nobody... And I mean, nobody who wants Bloodline. I, do you want to know how bad it was? At the time, Wizard Magazine said it was horrible. In the mid-90s, when Wizard Magazine... Wizard Magazine had a critical thought in their head? Yes. Wizard Magazine, who, as you recall, boosted Rob Liefeld as an artistic prodigy, who actually said at the time that, that Spawn is a great idea. Wizard Magazine There's went a very... said, this is the line which we will not cross. Bloodlines is not good. When they say that Bloodlines is bad, mm. goddamn. Bad uh, news for fans of Gene Wen Yang's Superman or Greg Pak's action comics. You can pretty much skip April because apparently there's some kind of super crossover. crossover. Yeah. Savage Dawn written by Peter J. Tomasi. Who's a good writer. Who's a good writer, but again, like this is a thing where... First of all, I don't, there wasn't even any announcement about this. It's just the solicitations come up and Jin Wen Yang is nowhere to be found. For a month. I, well, I don't know. How long is this crossover? Is I it think, just April? I think it's just one month throughout all of the Superman titles, which is enough to run a story. Strange decision. Tomasi isn't bad, but he's not Yang. I, he's he, not Pac either. I mean, Pac is pretty good yeah, too. I think, I, I think they're all good. And I'm, you know, I'm fine with that in yeah. principle if it comes and goes. Now, speaking of Superman. Yes. A reprint, something that I've been waiting for for quite a long time, and okay. very different from blood, as different as from Bloodlines as one could be. All right. Supergirl Cosmic Adventure Adventures in the eighth grade TPB New Edition, what? written by Landry K. Walker with art and cover by Eric Jones. It's an all. It was an all ages eight issue miniseries about Supergirl coming to Earth and going to school. Oh. It was lovely. It was funny. It. it was. Great. Where's it been all this time? Uh, out of print. When, hang on, when did this come it out? It was published in the early 2000s, I think 2004 or 2005. This is Peter David Supergirl? No, 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 It's oh, all, like it's Karen. an all ages book out of, out of DC continuity. Oh, okay. It's oh. like, it, I would say it's a precursor to stuff like, uh, Tiny Titans and Superman Family Adventures, but, oh, but it's not, okay. it's not the same creative team and the style is a, a bit more mature. There, okay. it's not just a collection of gags. There is a plot. Sounds good. There's an ongoing story. I really liked it. I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. Uh, mm, okay, so there's a bit of a story b- to attached to this solicitation. Um, 
So, Tom King and Tim Seeley are not writing Grace in number 19. That honor goes to Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. I don't know who they are. No. They're apparently new talent. Now, here's the point of concern. When King was asked on Twitter, what was, like, why were they not writing Grace? And he said they were taking a break. 24 hours later, another fan asked him the same question, essentially, because, again, DC has not communicated any of this. Nobody knows what's going on. When the second fan asked on Facebook what's going on, King said, I can't say. So this may not be a break. Again, like nobody knows. I have to uh, side with our past guest commentator, Mayan Priel. Apparently, Didio finally figured out that they were publishing Grayson. And he's Mm -hmm. like, listen, I have a theory. Can I share this theory with you? Okay. I think that Dan Didio is a secret agent for Marvel. Nobody could be this bad at their job on purpose. Tom, why are you, Tom King and Tim Seeley are one of the few things currently at DC that have universal support, right? People are really enjoying what they're doing on Grayson. Why would you, first of all, why would you mess with that in the first place? Having decided to mess with that, why are you not say, there's been no press releases, nothing. And this is the sort of thing that can drive people off books. Who are Lansing and Kelly? What are they doing with Grayson? Why are they stepping in? Where are King and Seeley going? Why can't King tell anybody all of a sudden? First he said it was a break. Then he said he's not allowed to say. What's going on? Um, And the solicitations are not revealing this. And I'm telling you, Didio is getting a check from Disney. That is the only explanation I can think of. uh, Dark Knight, a true Superman story hardcover. That's the... Paul Dini oh, okay. graphic novel that we've mentioned yeah. a few a few episodes back. Is it uh, slated for April or is it advanced solicited? Uh, I think it's slated oh on sale June fifteenth. Okay, it's advanced solicited, but take notice it's Paul Dini it's doing Paul Dini. half Batman, half his own life story. Do you need to say anything else? Yeah, and art by Eduardo Riso, so Ooh. it would look pretty. So in addition to this being Paul Dini, it's also Eduardo Riso. I mean, look. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just one final note for DC, uh, Slash and Burn has been cancelled at issue uh, six. Wasn't there so many? I think it was an ongoing that was cancelled because there was never, DC when they solicit miniseries, they have two of six, three of six, etc. Slash and Burn didn't have that. I think this is a cancellation. It seems a bit, well, DC cancelling after six issues seems, no, that's yeah, that seems legit. Hope I hope it's it's a mini. I haven't read it, so I don't Me know. Neither. But uh, we will probably talk about the arc at some point. Maybe. Besides Spurrier, it was okay. worth looking at. Uh, image, image, uh, Black Road number one, written by Brian Wood with art by Gary Brown and Dave McCaig. Now it's called Black Road number one. It's Vikings number it's, whatever. <laughs> it's 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 uh North it's Thunders, no it? yeah it's Brian Wood writing Vikings. So he already done it. It's okay. it was called Northlanders. It was pretty good. I, I don't know. It. Maybe. Oh well, it was published by Vertigo. So, is this a sequel to his? Resume? No, no, no. Something no. different. Yeah. Altogether. Well, Vikings. One of the big things with Viking was that every arc was technically self-contained and dealt with different Viking characters, even okay. in different times. It's not all in the same year or in the same region. So you know, uh, I I like I like Northlanders. I'm mm-hmm. gonna give it a shot. Seems a bit repetitive for my tastes. I don't think I'll go well, for it. Well, if we go, if we're gonna accuse uh, our no, no, no. writers of repetitiveness, no, poor Ed Brubaker. I mean, listen, 
Ed Brubaker at least puts a little variety into it. If you're telling me, first of all, he's back with Gary Brown, and he's doing Viking Story. Oh, I don't think Gary Brown was part of Small Fenders. Wasn't he? There were so many artists, I certainly do not remember. Eh, whatever. So, The Fix, number one. This is by Nick Spencer, art by Steve mm. Lieber. It's a crime caper story. Now, we Nick have Spencer. problems with Nick Spencer. And here's the thing. I have, it's one of these rare occasions. I have problems with Nick Spencer on self-owned titles. I really it's like... It's the opposite of... Yeah, Duffelmire. just about everything else. I really like Nick Spencer on, on the superhero titles. Ant-Man was good. Uh, superhero Foes of Spider-Man was brilliant. Excellent. And mm. um, his personal own stuff, Existence 2.0, and of course... The lamentable uh, <laughs> morning, morning glories, <laughs> which I gave it four trades. I That's never, 25 issues. I n- it never fails to bring a smile to my mouth just to see how much you hate And it's still ongoing. <laughs> I don't hate it. I'm just, I'm totally baffled. What was the point? Uh, I don't know. Maybe if I read 60 issues in reverse order with the commentary, with the Thora and the Mishnah, maybe then I'll get it. Pass. That's way too much work for Nick Spencer. So, but... He may be yeah, decent but, on occasion, but that does not just Then again, this. if it's just a crime story... Like, how bad could he possibly screw it well, up? Well, no, no, because Superior Foes was basically a series of crime stories and were very good, so... Five years from now, we're going to be talking about the fix number 60 and how we no longer understand anything that's going on in that series. <laughs> Criminal 10th Anniversary Special ah. Edition. Speaking of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips and Elizabeth... Breathweiser, that's a one-shot story, 64 pages, $5, Marvel. Mm, take, take note. Take note, take heed, take mm-hmm. something. Uh, and it's uh, back to the Lawless family, which pretty much ruled throughout the early criminal story. Well, not ruled. They were the most they're prominent. dominant characters. Yeah, they're the most prominent characters within these series of miniseries. Listen, you and, had me at more criminal. I mean, Yeah, no. and also like the first uh, criminal one-shot that uh, Brubaker did for Image. It also comes in a magazine variant, which is one dollar oh, more, but extra size. Okay. These are very lovely to look at. Yeah. yeah. And also to read. Right? Yeah. yeah. That helps too. Okay. Uh, so here's a weird one. Aloha Hawaiian Dick number one. This is by B. Clay Moore and Jacob White. I remember Hawaiian Dick. I don't. The solicitation text explicitly referenced that this is a Continuation of a previous property. I have no idea what uh, this it is. It was a pretty successful, critically wise, critic wise, uh, crime ministry set in Hawaii in the 1950s, I believe. Ugh. And well, no, hang on, that could sound that yeah, could be yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Well, the location was very, you know, new for a noir story. Yeah. You don't have many noir tropical stories. noir. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I How think was it, it. I haven't read it. I remember the reviews were pretty good. That's it. And it's back now because I think there was the rumors of a TV deal or a movie deal. So I, they're talking about reprinting the original miniseries. Oh, And okay. it was at the time of Image Central when they were starting to, you know... It wasn't yet Image ruling as the third biggest publisher, but it right. was Image making the move towards alternative genre pieces. Okay. It was when Powers doubted. It was when The Walking uh, Dead right. first came about. It sort was of like the first wave yeah. of, of experimentation. Okay, uh, I'm going to check this out. It yeah. sounds interesting. Uh, granted that... I well, we need to read the first mini. Well, I mean, listen, I would hope that Image would understand that that could be a tricky prospect. Then again, they did publish The Empty Zone. So, okay, yeah. Speaking of uh, things that are wonderful and fun, which we were not speaking of, I just want to say... I know say where it. you're going with this. Yeah, Go for of it. Of course, you know, uh, Dim and Chicken Pollo. My with- note for this solicitation says, Tom, take it away. 
Uh, Demon Chicken Poyo number one, written by John Lehman, drawn by Rob Gilroy. It's the last Poyo one shot, mostly for plot reasons. Is it a which one I shot can... or a yeah, it's a one shot. All of, of, all of the Poyo story, yes, all of the Poyo stories were one shots. Ah, okay. So we had uh, Space Warrior Poyo, and I don't remember <laughs> the name of the first one, in which he did Poyo. not went to space. Of course not. Of course not. Uh, it's just, it's just a fun time for Rob Gilroy to basically stretch his artistic wings and draw whatever the hell he likes sure. and it's going to be wonderful and fun and 32 pages is just the right amount for the joke not to work thin. Okay. One last bit of Poyo. Why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, last item I have here for Image is just sort of like a historical note, I guess. Prophet Earth Wars concluding. Yeah. This is Brendan Graham and Simon Roy writing. What issue is this? Because it was... Number four. Because... Originally solicited that Earth War was six issue mini. No. And then I, yes, the original oh, solicit, yes. Oh. And then I see issue number four, the conclusion, and I'm, what, what? Did I, what? Out mm, of the art here is maybe, Grim Wilkins and Janice. Is it Miller extra, Janice. is it extra long? Is it maybe they, you know. It could be. They combined two this, issues. This sounds like it's a sales problem, that they're just like compressing yeah, the issues. It was delayed, to, that's the thing. Profit was. That too. Yeah, major delays. So, but, but profit, but it, profit is very good. Profit. If you are a fan of the storyline, you know, this is the closure that you've been waiting for all this time. Now you know how I feel about Miracle Man. <laughs> um, go to it and enjoy. And I don't begrudge him, yeah. you know, finishing profit. Why not? Uh, shall we move on to Dark Horse? Sure. Uh, Buffy, the high school years, freaks and geeks, written by Faith Herring Hicks. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. So. It even rhymes. So. Yes. Uh, drawn by Yishan Lee. That's a graphic novel taking place during season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it's written by Faye and Hicks, so it's good. It is. Fantastic. I don't even need to read it. No, we talked about this when it was, when it was, yeah, yeah, we, I'm, I'm going to read it. I'm going to love it. I know that I will. Yeah. And, you know, Buffy Dark Horse has not been doing right by that license at all. Faye and Hicks can write. You know, the she phone book. She should have been writing Buffy all along. She could write the phone book and I would read it yes. on a monthly basis. Yes. Absolutely. Go for it. I have nothing else from Dark Horse. Oh, really? Okay. So, so if you have any more, let's well, talk about uh, it. Well, Department H number one. That's the new ongoing by Matt Kint. The right. lovely Matt Kint. Uh, See, I was never into mind management, mm. so... Mm. I, I want to reread it in trades. I've read it in issues and it was a bit... It slipped from my hands and I yeah. lost, lost it, a it's lot. It's that kind of story. It's like. It, it's very intellectual. It's a bit emotionless at times, but it's a very, you know, it's a very well thought out comics and I appreciate it. It's a little close to shallowness sometimes, uh, I think. Okay. In terms anyway, of, uh, Department yeah. H is a crime story taking place below the seas. So it's a sci-fi crime investigation under the sea. Mm. What? That's a good idea. Oh, okay. Hopefully Matt Kent has learned from past missteps. Well, considering everybody else liked his stuff, I don't Okay, think... maybe it's oh, just me. Oh, speaking of, of Matt Kent, I almost forgot. He has yeah. a graphic novel called Poppy. Puppy? Poppy. Poppy. P-O-P-P-I. Oh, Poppy, okay. Yeah. Poppy and the Lost Lagoon, which does not take place underwater and is not a murder mystery. Uh-huh. It's a graphic novel for children. Huh. Written by Matt Kent. That's interesting, yes. Hmm, okay. I, I would not point to Matt Kent as the guy I want to write for kids, but well, he he can have range. Let me put it this way. You know, he was wrote, Kent he wrote, wrote Ninja. Three, but was he the one who wrote the three-story giants? Yes. Okay, so this might work. Because the three-story giants was absolutely a story that you could tell kids. Hmm. 
And also, it's drawn by Brian Hurt, who did Six Gun, which is good. He's a good artist. Okay. Uh, okay, Sean, what's next? So, I have two points of interest from IDW. Yes. The first is Micronauts. How much does it cost, Sean? Did not check. Five dollars. Oh, so screw that. Yeah. I, I mean, look. Why? It's Colin Bunn and David Baldian. There's some... There's so limited interest in Micronauts, which is basically... There's academic interest in Yeah, Micronauts it's Chris Sims and me, I believe. Yeah. And guys and who I'd like, like 70s well, Marvel. But for $5? No. Who would pay not for $5. that? $5. I did not check the price point. You're right. Mm. Uh, so screw that. No. The other one is Hot Damn Number 1. Now, this is a four-part miniseries by Brian Ferrier and Valentin Ramon. These are the creators of D4VE, or Dave, mm-hmm. uh, concerning a person who dies, goes to hell, and finds out that hell isn't quite as advertised. The solicitation text calls it a therapy session that you can never escape, which sounds pretty off the wall and pretty appropriate for F- Ferrier and Ramon because that's the kind of thing they do very well. That I'll check out. Uh, speaking of Hell, Mike Mignola gets another artist edition for one oh. of his works. Not Hellboy. Okay. This time it's uh, The Amazing Squirrel Head and Other Stories, or as they call it, Other Curious Objects. Do you Have you read The Amazing Squirrel Head? It's one of those books that I hear about constantly but never got it's, around It's to not actually even a book. The actual story is it's a one-shot of like 48 pages, which is odd stuff happening, and it's drawn by Mike Magnolia, so it looks great. Of course. And now it gets the ITW Artist Edition, for, so 75 bucks will get you a big, giant, nice-looking thing. I mean, look, there are very few names in the industry that justify that kind of production. Mike Mignola is one of them. Uh, and anything else? From IDW, no. Do no. you have anything? Okay, so boom. Boom. Boom has a few items here. So I want to start with their requisite monthly four-part four miniseries, of course, Joyride by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, the people who are replacing King and Celia and Grayson. Art by Ma- Marcus Toe. This is a story that describes a bunch of teenagers who have been trapped on Earth. Earth is basically locked down in some way. There's no space travel, nothing. Uh, and a rebellious young girl steals a spacecraft with a bunch of misfits and takes off into outer space. Sounds fun. For a four-issue miniseries, that's the sort of thing that I'd be like, you know what, let me see what's going on here. I'm not willing to take a chance on Lansing and Kelly with Grayson, but for this, I would. Marcus Stowe is a very good artist, by the way. Yeah. Um, his Cyborg 009 from Archaea was great looking. There's a lot of potential here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm always, with Boom, when it comes to the four-part miniseries, they're not too expensive, they're not overpriced, they're short, they're to the point. I feel like Boom is the place where you can experiment uh, with these sorts of things. Over the Garden Wall gets an ongoing after yes, the they miniseries do. they had last year, written by Jim Campbell and Amelia Lavari, with art by Campbell and Kara Car- McGee. Kara McGee. Uh, the idea is that every issue would be split into two stories. One story follows the adventures of the brothers who are mm-hmm. over the garden wall, and the other would be a prequel telling of what happened to their bird, lady bird friend before they met. I could go for this. The I, problem, I like the pro- Over the Garden yeah, Wall. I really like Over the Garden Wall. The problem is it's a closed story. It's a miniseries, which is basically mm-hmm. a way for uh, Cartman to, not to say it's a movie, because you can basically edit all the intros and outros out, and it would be one story. Yes. The miniseries. It is a closed story, but it's a closed story that leaves open the possibility of a return. Uh, the they're, they're not doing a return. They're doing stuff that happened between episodes. Oh, seriously? Yeah. No. no. They're, they're, well, because if they tried to actually deal with the 
stuff that happens and after. That doesn't sound right, though. The solicitation text explicitly says a return to dreamland. Yeah. Is that not? We, we the readers, return to the dreamland. Oh, oh. That, mm. that was what the minute did. It was the story uh, between certain episodes. Yeah, which, but then it, it, it's, it's, it's a Star Wars thing then. Like you're working within a, a very specific well, framework. Yeah, because and you they know can't, that the story already ends. Because they can't, because if they try to redo the story or even continue it, the fans would go crazy. And rightfully so. It's a closed story. I That's feel the, like you could continue it though. There, I, there's a space for, it's I, like I, Nemo. Yeah, I really, know? I really like the closure. I, I did too. Yeah. But I said, like, if you have to continue it, mm. that would probably be the better way as opposed to just having like an interquel. Who needs it? One last bit of info. Uh, Hope Larson and mm. Brittany Williams are writing a new girl detective story called Goldie Vance. This is another four part miniseries. Now I'm going to be honest. The description seems a little generic. It's sort of, th- there's no unique hook here. It's just like a girl detective in the mold of Nancy well, Drew or Veronica Well, Mars. from the description, it seems to be less about the actual detective bits and the detection. It's just an excuse for uh, Hope Larson to do her teen drama bits, which Hope which Larson does very well. Yeah, Hope Larson is but great at teen drama. I don't know if, you know, like it doesn't, I, what I'm missing here is the hook. You know, like there, there doesn't I seem think, to be anything I think Hope Larson is the type of, Creator, in which case you can say the hook is it's a Hope Larson story. How long has it been mm. since we've seen a Hope Larson oh, she's story? Been, she's been busy for a while. She, I, I, no one's seen it. Hide nor hair. Yeah. So it's like, uh, I don't know, whenever Marjan Streppy uh, actually draws something. No, I think she's the, done. I think well, no, for, but for some time Marjan Streppy was, it's a new comic by Marjan Streppy. So I think a new comic by Hope Larson is enough of a hook by itself. Well, we'll see. It's, I, not, it's, not, about, it's not about the plot being necessarily unique and interesting it's not about surprising the reader it's about doing good well-told drama stories i don't know if that's enough for me when it comes to boom well yeah it's enough for me for hope larson but when you are situated in a company that is becoming known for taking risks and 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 doing well high concept stuff it seems a little strange to be to just say like well it's good it's ordinary no see it's good because boom doesn't do ordinary so now it's the time now the ordinary. Oh, now they'll never see it coming. No, the ordinary becomes the extraordinary. What's what's the high concept? There is no high concept. You just There's no high blew, concept. You she, they just blew our minds, Sean. Oh no, that's going to like Abed Nadir. I don't I don't want to do that. Okay, so I have one last item of interest from Dynamite. Yes. Genevieve Valentine, late of Catwoman, is teaming up with Ariel Nadell to do a new Xena Warrior Princess comic. Now look. Xena has been at Dynamite for a while. They didn't really do her justice. There was a Cthulhu tie-in, and I don't... I see you have not read John Lyman's Dark Xena. Surely the greatest comics of our generation, and of any generation. Mm. It's it's Dark Xena... My problem with Xena was that... The ranking would be Dark Xena, Watchmen... Oh, mouse. <laughs> oh, wait. Are you committing to that on air, like on record, that you're putting Darcy in ahead of Watchmen? Because people will take you literally; they cannot see the smile on your face right now. I think so, they can hear the smile. So, here's the thing: Zena, at a certain point in the series, went off the rails in like ways that was it during the Christmas episodes? It was actually was it during the Angel episode? Oh, yeah, that was that was about it. Was it when she when fought she, Romans? When she drove Mephistopheles out of hell and then seduced Lucifer to take his place. That was the point where you're like, uh, I think you may have sort of lost track of what this series is about. She went to India and started like 
it, let me put it this way. If Xena were airing today, people would be pissed at the cultural appropriation. Like, she's, she is a Greek warrior who goes to India and starts fighting like Ganesh. And, you know, they, they paint, uh, Mendy and then it's like she uses the Mendy to travel into her next incarnation as an Indian woman who, uh, it was like crazy, me- messed up, messed up appropriation. That like, they didn't even know what they were talking about. It's just like, I heard Callie is badass. So let's have Callie as like, as opposed to early Xena's historical research and honoring, well, the, listen, but honoring er- the Greek myths. No, but early Xena was at least fun in the sense of she's a Greek warrior. It was coherent. Greece. It was coherent. Here it's like day one India, day two Siberian Amazons, day three Rome, day four China. It's like, are you the roadrunner? What the hell are you? Like, how? What? So back so to anyway, the actual comic. But, but Genevieve Valentin made a pretty good name for herself with Catwoman. Granted that a lot of that came from the whole the bisexuality controversy that came up. So this could be interesting. I don't know what the concept here is, but I'll at least give the first issue a try because Dynamite, as we will soon see, does seem to be very interested in shedding their reputation of like being the boob comic. Oh yeah, they're they're there. I think, well, I think they're reaching that point now. Swords of Sorrow might have been sort of the, the wake up point, but it wasn't that yet. Well, we are going to talk about it. I think we should talk about it. Let's move on to the reviews. Yeah. You know what? Let's start with that one. Let's begin with. We're going to review Red Sonia, volume three, number one. Volume three? That's volume three. Yeah. From Dynamite is volume three. So wait a minute. Volume two was Gail Simone. No, no. Gail Simone only did the, oh, wait. Gail Simone also wrote it. I don't remember. Somebody. Wow. Okay. It's dynamite. It's dynamite. <laughs> it's like the it's, end of Chinatown. Forget it, Jack. Forget it. It's, it's dynamite. dynamite. Written by Margaret Bennett with artist Anake. Again with the one name artist. Anek. Anek. I don't know. Okay. Why, why, why can't I know your family name? <laughs> Who are you? Are you and Echo brothers? Sisters? Uh, they're all family? getting it from like the big book of anagrams. Uh, shall I explain the plot? Go forth. Okay. So after the local king dies, he well, as he dies, he basically begs the hero, Red Sonia, to take the crown and leads the kingdom. And she's like, nah, nah, not my thing. So she leaves. The... Well, she's tempted. Yeah, she's tempted. To be fair. Yeah, she's tempted, but she decides no. And she leaves for a while. And when she returns, everything is great. You know, she tries to get a job as a warrior, as a guardian, as a slayer, as a ravager, the things that Red Sonia does, and nothing is needed. Wait, is there any monster to come? No. No. Good. Whenever there's a crime, the local guardsmen are just there in seconds. There is, there, nearly a cat to be saved from a tree can be She's found. She's bored. Yeah. And <laughs> halfway through the issue, you're like, things are great. Too great. Mm. And, well, you can guess what happens when things are too great in a story. Yeah. So... Uh, okay, so let me let me start with sort of a general question here. Was this your first Red Sonia comic? I believe not, but I can like in not... recent memory. Were you yes, reading yes. Red Sonia's Dynamite before? No. Okay, because I went into this completely blind. Yeah, I I know. Who, For instance, well, I did I not expect Sonia it is. to be a continuation of pre- this. Is I, it? It's obviously 
a continuation I don't think of that it is. Yeah, because they they talk about oh the adventures you had while saving our kingdom from something or other. But that's Red Sonia. You could you, say this, like it, if this were Conan, you would just assume that they're talking about generic. Well, yeah, adventures. but because it's volume three. Well, I don't it, know. But if it is okay, let's it say, works let's put it this way. In, well enough by itself. Exactly. If it is a reference to something that has already been published, you wouldn't. It, you don't need it. You don't need to read it. I, I do have to say that this issue is accessible. Mm-hmm. It rates very high as an entry point. On the whole, I enjoyed it. And first of all, okay, so let's talk about this is a redesign, right? This is one of the three redesigns that Dynamite's working on. And she actually wears an armor that covers her body. There yeah. you go. That's the big redesign. That's the shocking. Re- It's the same chainmail. It just happens to cover her stomach now. That's it. So... But let's talk about this issue first of all. So it is accessible, yes. right? That's, that's a major plus in its decision. I, I liked it overall. Bennett's good. That's, mm-hmm. that much is absolutely true. She makes, she allowed me to immediately feel a connection to Sonia as a person, which because she's such an iconic character, right? Because she has this whole legacy going back to all that complicated stuff with Uh, like Howard wrote her, but it wasn't actually her. There was like a different Red Sonia and another Red Sonia. All of that complicated stuff. This is really ground zero for a new kind of Sonia. And on that level, it works. I do have some reservations. Okay. On the whole, I liked the Sonia's characterization here in that she comes to this king that she is loyal to. And he says, I want you... To be the queen. These enemy nations are sniffing around. They need to see we have a strong ruler. I want it to be you. And she has this fantastic line. Bennett writes this great line. I know what kind of queen I would be. And she doesn't say that in a good way. Sonia knows herself. She knows that she cannot rule. That's not who she is. And it's a great angle also that she leaves the kingdom. And when she comes back, it's like, we're fine. We're good. You know, we don't need a hero. We're, everything is okay. Uh, we're all healthy. We're all happy. And, no monsters, okay, nothing. Okay, here's the thing. But I did feel that mm. the dialogue might have been a little too contemporary. Did you, did you have that feeling when she's talking about like the cat in the tree? I'm like, you might be going a little outside the framework of, and granted, I mean, Conan dialogue is cliche. But it's Conan, right? Yeah, well... By Grom... By Grom. Well, Robert Howard was very good at these things. The people who followed him, not so much. Yeah. But Red Sonja... But here's the thing. Red Sonja is not Conan. And if there's one thing the comic makes right is that she's not just female Conan. No. If somebody offered royalty to Conan, he would say, no... He did! Yeah, but he would say, no, I want to take it by force. Nobody would offer it for him... He will take it. And nobody would be grateful for him. That's the whole point of Conan. He's always on the edge of civilization. And Red Sonia is not that. She can move between Queen, these yeah. different states. And again, like I'm amazed. Bennett really does a fantastic job of making me think of Sonia not as the iconic cliche stereotype that she would have been given her legacy. I mean, she's been around a long time. She feels like a character that I could have picked up this book right now and started reading. Yeah, the big problem I have with this is that the twist is so telegraphed yeah. because you can't do it. You can't do the everything is great, everything is great in a non-com... If it was a comedy book, if this was straight up, you know, Gru, I don't know, Gru or something like this, mm-hmm. it would be the joke that he, yeah. that she You're tries... You're Yeah, she tries to find action. Although, and, to be fair, Bennett does get a good deal yeah, of humor the, out of the idea that... There, You know, Sonia the She-Devil, right? The, the, the hunter, the, the, the legendary slayer is stuck in this kingdom 
where she is not necessary and it is driving her crazy. Yeah, but again, it's a bit too telegraphed. There's there's a seedy underbelly. Yeah, and it's and you see it, and coming. it's too obvious. And here's the thing: when the twist does come, I'm saying, how did you not see that all of this time? It's like, oh, there's this seedy underbelly. It's not an underbelly; it's an overbelly. So she have missed it throughout all of that time and she only saw the good stuff. Well, which no. is weird for someone who's outside of normal structures. Well, there does seem to be an effort. I mean, we're not going to spoil what the twist is, even yeah. though, you know, as Tom says, it is telegraphed yeah. fairly clearly. Um, it does seem that she sort of stumbles onto it by accident in that there is an interest within the thing that she objects to isn't even necessarily what she stumbles onto, but like what it means for the kingdom as a whole, what the kingdom is becoming under this new ruler, that's the problem that she has. So I almost wish it what is didn't went that way because there is yeah. something very interesting about a story, sort of the unforgiven for Sonia, in which you know civilization has moved on. Oh, you, you're that, still yeah. It's it, this that's cliche in itself. No, well, it would be something completely different. This would be the last story that you would ever do with Red Sonia or Conan, yeah. in which. Well, yeah, you're no longer needed. We moved sure. past you. I think I, this wasn't Howard, but I think someone who was doing the Conan comics just reached a point where it's like, Conan is king, he's old, and he's done. I think that was Christopher Priest when he was still Gma- it, it called Jim Owsley. It might have been. And then it's like, that's the end point of your narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't go any further. By the way, is Sonia canonically bisexual? Because there's a oh, I don't know. montage of lo- love interests here that includes a woman. Not that uh, I'm not saying that as a point of objection. I'm just saying I, I was not aware of that. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know care. if Bennett introduced that or if it was there before. It seems like the sort of thing Gail Simone would have done. Gail Simone could have done it. But I don't think I don't it matters. Know. I don't think anybody's no. angry about it. No, 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 no. I don't think. I, it, again, like I'm not I, objecting. I think it. I it's totally in character for this. Totally in character for this version of the character, which yeah. I have not read before, which she has such a zest for life. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that made Conan great for me, you know, uh, reading this original story. Also, I'll, I'll say this, like, mm-hmm. in Bennett's favor, you have this montage of, like, the three love interests mm-hmm. that she pursues. So it's like uh, a merchant, uh, an orator, and... A soldier? I think it was a soldier, though. Yes. And, like, I like them. The, even though the, they're only there for a few They're in a panels, flashback. They're a flashback. They, they only have a few words of dialogue, but Bennett does such a great job of distinguishing between them and giving them sort of like baseline personality. Like the merchant is saying he doesn't deserve Sonia because he can only give her like things. Yeah. It's really I, good. I, I really like the character. I really like the writer. I enjoy the art. Not Are ama- you staying for the... Not amazing. I, I'm not into the story. The actual story okay. that she's doing is like... I, l- I like all the ingredients. You're not making the sort of dish that I enjoy. So I get that. I, maybe I'll read the trade. I'll, yeah, I'll say I'm I'm in this for the duration of the first arc. I'll I'll read the first mm-hmm. five issues. Um, I think it, it is sort of a trap, right? Like it, Bennett basically wrote herself into a situation where as soon as you say that Sonia. Her obstacle here is that she's not needed. There are really only two ways it can go. This is either a story about Sonia's uselessness, which you won't do on the first. You arc. wouldn't do in the first arc, and I don't think that you would do as a reboot either. Yes, that would be like the last days of Sonia. This is more like the beginning of a new age, and then it's really—I mean, it's Blue Velvet, isn't it? It's Blue Velvet. She comes mm-hmm. home, and there's like there's an ear rotting in the middle of her. So. I get that. Like, I'm willing to, to stipulate that that was sort of the only way that it could have gone, because even I can't think of another scenario that would have made sense for that story. 
I want to see what she does with it. And again, like the, the marvel of Dynamite reboots here is that I am invested in the possibility of reading comics that you would not have caught me dead reading. Gail Simone wasn't enough to get me reading Red Sonia back in the day. Bennett is. Okay. So well done. Uh, shall we do Gutter Magic? Let's do Gutter Magic. Gutter Magic number one, written by Rich Duick. Mm-hmm. And drawn by Bert Berkeley from IDW. We yes. are covering the whole rainbow of publishers this sure. episode. Now, Tom, as you know, comics are often printed in sequential panels with word balloons. Really? Sean Edry. Yes. The guy who, with whom I podcast for a while. I did not know that. Yes. Please explain it to me further. You may also be aware, Tom, that the internet operates by use of typing input into a keyboard, in case you have not known. Now, I'm sure that you are aware that recently... Okay, so basically the joke okay. here... <laughs> Exposition <laughs> speak 101. Don't. What's the premise of Gutter Magic? Okay, Gutter Magic kind of has an interesting point. It takes place in a magical world in which magic exists throughout all of human history, and we reach World War II... And then people bring out the magical nukes. And everything crumbles. Okay. And then everything restarts back to a Renaissance-era level of civilization for some reason. It was Renaissance, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes. didn't occur to me at the time, but you are damn right. And so the mags, the people with actual magical power, do whatever they want, rule the world, rules are not apply to them. It's and sort of the stereotype of the wizard in the tower, yes. right? Okay. And people who are not professional wizards can achieve magic, but it's cheap magic, it's gutter magic, and they have to fight for every scrap of power they can in a society that doesn't care for their lives one way or another. Our heroes are Cinder Burns with a Y, oh because... God. Oh, God. Why not? And his Why partner, not? I see what you did yes. there. <laughs> and his partner in crime, Blacktooth, who's a goblin who needs everything explained to him, including stuff he already knows. You see, this is why they're dealing with gutter magic, because they're too busy explaining things they already know to each okay, other. Okay, now, I, I went into it interested. I thought, okay, it's a, uh, how do you call it? Urban fantasy? Yeah. I'm fine with well, urban fantasy. It's an urban it's a, fantasy in a setting yeah. that is supposedly... I, because I've recently read The Lies of Locke Lamar, so I'm really ah, into... Ooh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, into Renaissance fantasy magic thing. I'm, I'm into it. Okay. And, you know, this world was basically at this point for like seven, ten books before the end. Rest in peace, peace Terry, Terry Pratchett. Pratchett. You are gone but not forgotten. This is not good. No. The first problem is, unless they're going to do something with it in the following issues, and it doesn't seem to be their point, the whole well, world... this is four parts, right? Yes. Okay, so... Unless they're going to do something that the whole of, this was World War II with magic, and then civilization restarted, is pointless. Why not just say, it's magic renaissance, that's it? Well, there, there's only one panel in this issue that draws an explicit line to World War II... They start by saying it was World no, War Two, no, no, no. right? Wait, the um, at the end of the issue, Cinder, ugh, that name, is given. No, really, that name. Cinder is given a journal by a mighty wizard named J. Robert Oppenheimer. All oh, right, so, right. It's a funny gag. Uh, like I, I guess that that's sort of the point of the of the story that it is going to go back to. You know what this reminded me of? This reminded me of like a much, a much more poorly executed Captain America versus Thor. 
Not the characters. The, the Brad, story. What was his name? Brad. Mm, I don't damn know. Damn it. The guy who did Brad the postman. Fo- yeah. The novel, not the I movie. don't know why I'm blanking out on his name right now. He's a fantastic, fantastic David Green. Story. David Brin. That's yeah, the him. novella that was actually oh, later turned into a comic. The Life Eaters. Yes. Yes. So the thing about Captain America vs. Thor is that it takes the setting of World War II, but the real importance there is the conflict, like what happens when you bring mysticism, or in this case, gods, right? It was Asgardian gods. Here it's magic in the sort of Western medieval sense. Yes. The wizards. D&D. With the beards. It's D&D. You yeah, can, you yeah, can hear is. the D20 roll it is. in the back of... I mean, the goblin is called Black Tooth. You could have just called him Green Skin. Would have been the exact same thing. And, you know, the okay, goblin market. The big problem, artists. as we've mentioned, is the exospeak. There's yeah. so much of it in this issue. And Oof. in comic, it's not necessary. If you wanna, if you wanna present information to the reader, captions. It doesn't I, help. I, I know it's not popular. Thought bubbles. You can use thought bubbles. Even, you know what? Even then, it's not just the exo, it's the fact that they repeat it. Like, for example, when Blacktooth leads Cinder into the goblin market, right? They're being chased by debtors to whom Cinder owes money. And they go into the goblin market, and the goblin market is apparently sentient and aware, so it moves things around in order to protect them, right? Why them and not the debtors? When the well, this is the thing. When the goblin market is introduced, Blacktooth says anything can be bought on the goblin market. The issue ends with the debtor saying anything can be bought on the goblin. It's like, yes, we know. We we literally just found that out a couple of pages ago. We did not need you to repeat that. So it's not just that there's a ton of world building that is being awkwardly presented here. It's that they're repeating themselves it in star- addition to It starts to with a breaking to a magical tower to steal magic and black tooth. You, Blacktooth calls to Cinder, you know, use your magic. And Cinder is telling him, we came here to steal magic. Yes, he should know that. Right, why would you say... You're, you're saying you're speaking as if readers are reading this narrative and must be informed. And not only that, but this whole heist that begins with Cinder and Blacktooth trying to steal this last bit of a spell, right? Mm-hmm. He assembles all the pieces, and then... I mean, he says it as if it's self-evident, but it's news to us... He can't cast spells. So then why have you been assembled? No, because you need a wizard to cast a spell for you. It's like, listen, you're, you're like getting lost up your own plot here. What about that cousin of yours? He'd have the juice. No. Victor? No. Don't you know, don't you remember that Victor doesn't like me because of all these things that happened once upon a time? And let me tell you the story while we're here. No, listen. I, I appreciate the setting. Um, because I don't think I, I don't think I've seen this since Aerosmith. That, pretty pretty art, pretty art. Bert Berkeley does pre. He does. And he has good sense of design and characters. It, but yeah. it wouldn't. I mean, if this were an ongoing series, you could at least say, you know what? So the first issue just gets all the world building out of the way, and then issue two we can start. This is a four issue mini. I mean, w- obviously the next issue, since they're captured here, they're going to meet this debtor, right? And it's just going to go from there. And it's like, well, there's not really enough space in the context of a four-issue miniseries to devote the entirety of your first issue to exposition dumps. Just like one after the other, after the other, after the other, all presented in dialogue. It's it's an amateur mistake. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, this I haven't heard of Rich Duet before. I don't know if he's if this is his first try. Um... 
I, I wanted to like this. Yeah. Because again, like that, that idea of, and especially the fact that they reference Oppenheimer. So this isn't a situation where it's a complete fantasy world. The, the, the World War II link is obviously significant in some way. Even though the absolute lack of any kind of technology here is incongruous. I mean, if this is meant to be our world, even after magical nukes or whatever, you don't have Well, cameras. if you say magic existed throughout all of history, how do you reach World War II? But, uh, okay, well, no, like I'm willing to the say... The same political... Well, yeah, I guess Aerosmith they... ran with the same problem. Sure. Also, so, so it's, it's okay. It, you know, whatever. So somebody threw a fireball at Archduke Ferdinand. Okay. Whatever. So here's our recommendation: go read Aerosmith. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan well, of Aerosmith I recommend, either. I but, recommend go but read like Aerosmith. of the two because at least also well, Kurt Busiek write Kurt. another Aerosmith and finish the story. Kurt Busiek. Well, no, Kurt Busiek. Don't write Aerosmith. Keep writing Air- Autumn Lands. I'd he rather can have write that. Them both. Can he? Yes, he's he stretched a little thin. I don't think he needs to. In any event, so gutter magic. Um, you know what? I I feel like. If I had access to the trade at some distant point in the future, this would be something that I did out of disinterest. Not because I'm particularly into it, but whatever. Uh, our last number one, Our Sean, last number one You is, chose this? Yes, I did, and for good reason. Captain Marvel number one. This is by Michelle Fazekas and Tara Butters, with art by Chris Anka. This is a Marvel book. Now... Not the Anka we've mentioned earlier. No, the other Anka. Yeah. The other, other Anka. This is Anka with it. Well, let's not even get into that. So, long-time listeners will recall that I have a complicated history with Carol Danvers in that she is someone who I really, really, really want to like and whose comic has not worked for me. Kelly Sue DeConnick has moved on, for better or worse. We have a new setup now for Carol Danvers. The premise is she's going to spend two years on a space station designed to be Earth's first line of defense against extraterrestrial invaders who, as we know in the Marvel Universe, frequently stop by for tea and rampage. So this job also puts her in charge of Alpha Flight. This is the Canadian superhero team who, is this their first appearance in a while? Because I don't remember seeing them anywhere. Weren't they killed during Brian Michael Bendis' Avengers run? If they did, I'm sure that death. Or was it Omega Flight? Six issues. That was probably Omega Flight. One, one of the flights, the Beta Flights, the Gamma yeah. Flight. It's Canada. Who cares? Yeah. So, <laughs> so. Well, in any, but, it, but, but I will say, I will say though. So, oh, in addition to Alpha Flight, we also have Abigail Brand from Sword as her second as her second in command. command. So, let's start with. And this is this is what I wanted to happen, and I'm so happy that it did. Where Deconic failed for me, Fazekas and Butters succeed in that they managed to produce this really, really great supporting cast. Brand is abrasive, but sort of endearing in that she gets the job done. Puck, of all characters, turns out to be like a, a fan of Carol Danvers. He comes up to her and he's like, can I have your autograph? It's for my sister. And then like this really small dialogue. Bubble. I, it's for me. <laughs> I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of Characters telling the lead character of the story, you're so great. But it's Captain Marvel. I mean, uh, I, I, I get, I get it. I get that it's you, Carol Danvers. I, you can sort of do it and with also, Superman and Wonder think, Woman, but no, no one but else. Think of the disparity between Carol Danvers and Alpha Flight. I mean, they look up to pretty much everybody. If they could get a signature, uh, they could get an autograph from Wong, they'd be happy. You know, That's so mean. <laughs> it's mean, but Alpha it's true. Flight, Alpha Flight ran longer than any Doctor Strange series. Am I lying though? I mean, it's Alpha Flight. In any event, so we have this really interesting setup, which 
again, that and the the lack of definition for Deconic's secondary characters, like the, the supporting cast around Carol, was always a huge problem for me with that book. And I'm reading this issue, and I had a blast. Now, I'm willing to acknowledge that this might be because Fazekas and Butters come from TV, right? They're the showrunners from for Agent Carter. So they know how to establish a character in like 40 minutes that you get attached to. That might be part of it because like I really, really had a good time with this issue. It, there's a rocket cameo, which is always, you know, small doses is always a good thing. And I like the premise of this is a superhero who likes to define herself by taking action, right? She likes to go into the field and punch things. That's what makes sense to her. And she takes a position that is, you know, she's, she's a commander. She is supposed, it's a desk, it's supposed to be a desk job. And she rejects that thinking altogether. And that's her flaw. So I, 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 I think that this could be some really interesting. I places. have two problems with, uh, Captain Marvel, which okay. I enjoyed on a whole, but I have two problems. Problem number one is not a fault of the creators, but four months from now, this character will be hijacked by another writer and will be made into a Nazi. Who? What? She's the bad guy in Civil War Two. Carol Danvers is the bad guy. She's the proto. We should. We. You've read the plot for Civil War Two? Vaguely, I couldn't keep. Interest. They. Ha- the The plot is they found the precog. They They can see the future. They're basically doing uh, the Philip K. Dick story. Minority Report. Yeah, and she's the one who's pro pre crime. She wants to stop people before they do crime. Who's on the other side of this argument? The good guy is Iron Man. That. Yes. 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 That was my one F word allotted for this month. Uh, okay. I, we're getting sidetracked. We're getting sidetracked. No, because we do can't. It. I won't do it. I won't rant. But Iron Man is in favor of free will and Carol Danvers is in favor of pre-crime. Thou shalt not. But okay, so okay. you're saying you don't want like this I, series is I, gonna get I derailed. Yeah, yeah. As okay. far as I can see it, they're gonna derail the character, and yeah. unless they tell the the creators of this comic, well, you can ignore the huge crossover we're doing right which now, they could do. which your character as a major part player in it. They could do that though. Well, they could. And, well, the issue okay. here is is I mean, it's civil war, right? So obviously, it's gonna be wildly out of character. But you have to wonder if they. I mean, you say that to me, right? You're saying Carol Danvers is in favor of pre-crime. I say BS, right? But based on this issue, Fazekas and Butters could justify it somehow? I don't know. Well, I, the justification is she's she's from the military. And Bendis wouldn't... Yeah, look, Bendis wouldn't give her that depth, right? Like, you wouldn't... It, it, it's the same as when Mark Miller was talking about pro-registration and anti-registration... And the positions made no sense, and the the moral values attached made no sense. But even even ignoring that, okay, let's set that aside because that's, that's a problem that's for, the, for further down the, the future. Yes, for the pre, I I precog the okay. future, <laughs> and I see problems. Civil see. War three, Tom versus Sean. The no, future that, is not written. No, that's the crime. <laughs> Civil, Civil War two is a crime. We must stop. Oh God, okay. I don't know. Maybe we so should. what was your other problem? Um. The other let's, problem, let's work on the yeah, assumption yeah. that maybe physics yeah. and Butters can work around that. The other problem is that I I don't really get what Carol is trying to achieve in that 
she says I'm in it for the action and then they show her doing the desk job and, and basically saying ha ah, finally I, I really hate when people are forced to do a desk job and then they say ah action as if desk job is meaningless when they were brought in as an administrator it's like they're basically saying well the call of the plot and the action means that the all the other thing is meaningless but you mm-hmm. just it, you just basically said it's important she's a diplomat and she just blew off you know ambassadors from other civilization and then throw them in jail and the plot is like we should be for her because this is her story without actually saying well the complications of the matter are complicated see I read that in a completely different way oh. that, that's interesting okay because see I read that as this is the flaw in Carol's character mm. that butters and physics are pointing out because everyone in this story who knows Carol tells her that she's wrong for this job. oh okay uh, you know Rody tells her you're a desk job doesn't make any sense for you. Like, that's not who you are. She doesn't listen. She goes up to the space station. She bumps into Rocket. And Rocket's like, you know, the Guardians are just stopping here. Why don't you come with us? We're going on this crazy so adventure. So I, I was reading it as being all pro-Carol without acknowledging the flaws. No, and you were I, reading I think, it as... Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, again, like, I might be giving them too much credit. But the way that it read to me was saying... Well, your version is more interesting. So. No, because, like, the way that it came off to me was... I mean, the fact that Carol basically falls asleep at this diplomatic meeting... Mm-hmm. And Brand is sort of picking up the pieces after her. And Brand did not want this job. Yeah, but Brand doesn't appear to be sympathetic in this issue. It's not the story um... of the beleaguered bureaucrat having to pick up the pieces. It's the story no, of the uh, board. it's also not told from her perspective. Yes. But I did feel like the fact that Carol is jumping into action all the time is being treated here as a character flaw. That was the sense that I got, that she's the wrong person for this job, and and it's her own stubbornness. It's like, no, it's going to be great. I can do it. It's going to be fine. And the only person who's in her corner is Puck, who is already saying, like, you know, he's a fan. He doesn't really... Also, I just don't get why Alpha Flights are actually flying (laughs) rockets. I, I, I sort of get, okay, you want to put them as secondary characters, and you can use, and you can do whatever you want with them because it's Alpha Flight. Nobody else uses them. Since when the Sasquatch is a space pilot? Since Silverhawks. What? Since Silverhawks. Because Silverhawks were cyborgs with masks that let them fly through space, and yet they had a spaceship I, anyway. I remember the TV show, but what? Since when does... There you go. Pac is not a pilot. <laughs> huh? Pac is not a pilot. Well, Was he a pilot? You have to assume that Canadian... Uh, the Canadian military in the Marvel Universe, when you consider the amount of crap that they have been through... It must be like, okay, welcome to the Canadian military. Since we have to deal with Wendigo, space invaders, exploding moons, visiting X-Men, and occasionally Wolverine and family come by, and that's a whole well, different crisis. the Canadian military... Our training regiment, they don't have, like, Navy, aviation, ground forces. They're like, you're going to do everything, because we don't know... Sean, they don't deal with bad stuff they created. The ca- Canada, yeah. Canada in the Marvel Universe is evil. Sure, but it's... it's the like, evilest country in the world. Department after H, right? It's yes. Department H. So Department H is always like... In the event of the escape of an aquatic kraken that we've bioengineered, you must also have aquatic training. In the event that we accidentally release a virus into the air that turns everybody into giant apes, you should also have air training. It's like, I like to imagine that they're like the Boy Scouts of the Marvel Universe. They're prepared for anything. So, of course, Sasquatch and Puck and Aurora and Northstar didn't turn up. No, I think Northstar is dead. What do you mean dead? Oh, no, he's married, right? Same thing, really, when you think about it. In oh, terms come of, on. In terms of superhero when, dramatics, when, if you're married, you're probably dead. Yeah. But um, where is he? he? You would think that he would turn up. In the, in the suburbs with his husband. Okay. 
I mean, fair to this. Better that than to be written the by be- Jerry The best Duggan. ending for a married superhero is to be forgotten because they, you can actually imagine them having a good life. Oh, they're not gonna, they're gonna box his husband, aren't they? Sometimes. Husband in the, in the future, yes. There you go. Okay. So, but in any event, these are all future problems yeah. that we're dealing with. In terms of the issue, again, like, I think that, like, I, I get why you see it that way mm-hmm. in that, like, if you, if you assume that the story is saying, that Carol is right, then it turns into this whole... The Carol Danvers show. It's the Carol Danvers show, and she, she's kind of getting into Mary Sue territory. If you assume that the writers are saying she really shouldn't have taken this job, mm. and in okay. fact, I'm willing to bet, because what happens here is she causes a diplomatic incident. The first issue makes it seem like she's justified in doing that. I would not be surprised if in the next issue it turns out that she screwed up by jumping the gun. Because that seems to be the, I think that's the angle where they're going in. If so, like again, I'm, this is the Carol Danvers series I want, mm-hmm. so I'm here for this. Uh, Chris Anka's art is per- oh. perfect for this kind of comic. Yeah. It's bright, it's big, it's, it's very roomy, which is odd for a story that takes place on the space station, but there's always a sense of, you know, endless directions and everywhere Carol to go. Carol even draws attention to that. She's like, why do we have restrooms and like trees? And Abigail tells her, listen, you're asking people to stay in a space station for two years. You could decorate it a little bit. That makes sense. So, and it's very lovely. Uh, I enjoyed suit, it. Yeah, the suit is still the same suit, right? I think, I think so. I, I think there's a little touches of redesign it, to the McKelvey. I think uh, under the shoulders might have been yeah. a little bit. Yeah, but it's still it like still a works. military outfit. Yeah. She still looks uh, uh, so much like Marvel's original uniform well, that's in the, terms of the color yeah. scheme. And that's in, I know that that's intentional. That's but definitely like, better than the original suit. Like she, oh God, yeah. with the Farrah Fawcett hair. <laughs> yes, yes. No, thank you. Yeah. So good. So I, I really enjoyed it. I'm here for, again, like you... I hadn't considered that until you brought it up, but the fact that there is a possibility that this book will get derailed by Civil War II is real. It is a point of concern. The only thing that I can think of, like the only scenario where I could be okay with that, is that I do think based on this issue that they might be able to make it work, or if Bendis were to write the tie-in issues, I could just skip over them. Or maybe, that- or maybe Civil War II ends, reaches the final issue, and then... The evil Carol Danvers is blown out of smithereens and Carol Danvers shows up and all that. Like, Hi guys! I was, was in space! That oh, was a mystique! There was a clone of me! It was sending, a clone! Standing right here! Well, you know, Civil War clones, it happens. Yeah. I mean, thank God you noticed it was a clone. You didn't think I would be proto-incarcerating in, people. It's Kang. <laughs> We're dealing with future here, so it's okay, Kang, okay. and then it turns out that it's uh, Kang all along. We, we've rumbling and rumbling, let's okay. reach our final review. The it's main our trade. course. Yes, our trade review. Rowan Ruins, number one through four, that's a miniseries by Boom. Yes. Which you know because it's a miniseries. If it's a miniseries, and it's four parts. Yes. It if it's six parts, it's image. If it's four parts, it's Boom. Yeah. Well, it's a horror story, so it could have been Dark Horse. There was a chance there. They, yeah, they love their horror stories. That's true. Uh, written by Mike Carey, he of Lucifer's fame. Was it, Tom? Was it written by Mike Carey? I have my doubts. But let's and continue. drawn by uh, Mike Perkins, who is also a very good artist. Okay. Most of now, the time. Now, when this miniseries was solicited, we did point out that, superficially at least, there were similarities between this and Greg Rucka's Black Magic. From the sound of it, right? It sounded like... Well, it's completely different. Completely different. Now, if you want to compare it to Lock and Key, Mm. it's also different. Yeah. Because Lock and Key was pretty good. 
And this is, this not, is not. It's not okay. It's not awful. Mike, <laughs> Mike Carey, wherefore art thou, Mike Carey? Okay, what, what the, the hell? It's okay. The the plot is this: yes. Katie is a young and very bored American woman, and she does the internet house swap thing. And the one she chooses and chooses her is a lady from England. And she she reaches England, and it's this big giant mansion of a house called. Rowan's Ruins? No, it's Rowan's Rise. Rise, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The series of Ruins. Mm. You ain't <laughs> And she starts this, well, she continues her personal uh, video blog and tells everybody, oh, England is great and I'm getting so much culture here. And Mind you, she's in the middle of nowhere, so I don't know what culture she's Shakespeare getting. is always there in England, <laughs> but... Just coming out of the earth. <laughs> yeah, but... But there are secrets abound this house. Strange and terrifying things have happened in the past. And they may come to haunt her still. I am falling. Okay. I, I need, I need my Carrie to explain a few things to me because here we go. Katie. Yes. I hated her. Oh wow. It has been a That's... long time since Mike Carey wrote a protagonist who was so unlikable. This is someone who has no goals, no objectives, no stakes, nothing. She sits in that house all day and does her video blog. She's a... She gets in she gets into this in this loop of investigation finding out about the past. For no motivation that I can tell, she has no reason to do any of the well, things she's she haunted does. by ghosts. That's good enough of a motivation for not me. until yeah, but she's haunted by ghosts after settling in. Yes, and then she's like, "Don't go into a room." She goes into a room. It just this character was flat as a board. See, I don't hate her. I just I'm just not interested I, in her. I, I, no, what I hated about her was like her interactions with the police officer. Her English boyfriend, PC Helham. Where do I even begin? Like, she... There isn't much chemistry there. What? No, the reason there's no chemistry is because she alternates between open hostility for no reason at all, or teasing him and being like, the next time, like, when you sleep over, you're not going to be on the couch. And they go back and forth, like there's no communication, nothing, nothing, nothing. There's this character has no depth to her. I don't understand now, why she does we've anything mentioned, she does. And we've mentioned in Red Sonia that the ending is too telegraphed, the big twist. It's the same problem here, and that's the whole miniseries. So if by the middle of issue three, it's not clear to you what's the big shocking twist is, you've never read a horror story in your life. You possibly never read a story in your life. I'm still stuck on hating Katie. I'm sorry. As I look, she sees a, her first ghost. Mm-hmm. She's cracking jokes the next page. Seeing the ghost does not phase her. She's like, "Oh well, my today on my vlog." So I saw a ghost yesterday. That was pretty cool. Let me find out more. This is like this. I I categorically deny that this book is associated in any way with the horror genre. No, <laughs> you're thinking it's a comedy. <laughs> the apathetic vlogger. I'm laughing, but not at, not with them. I'm laughing at them. I, I would buy a series called the apathetic, the apathetic vlogger about a woman who goes to haunted houses, and she's like, "Oh, a werewolf, a werewolf is trying to kill me." You know, How dull over is that? the past couple of of uh, episodes, we've been wondering where Mike Carey is. Well, he's doing suicide risk, also. 
Which is and that's also been, not... I haven't read it. It's, mm-hmm. it's going on now for a long, long time. No, not good? No. I, I gave it a try because, again, like I have a huge amount of respect for Mike for Carey. He's done some amazing things lately. I don't know what's going well, on with him. his books are still this fine. This miniseries was garbage. <laughs> I wouldn't go garbage. That, I I wouldn't go that far. It's I think it's decompressed as hell. Mm, yeah. It's it, it you know there's it feel, no. It feels like a two parter spread for four issues for no reason. And here's the thing: there's the seeds of a good idea in theory here Where? about hmm? Where? about the idea of bringing specifically an American to a British haunted house and doing something with the idea of the weight of history in Britain, which doesn't exist for Katie. So in theory, you have this great story about someone who comes into a completely new place and doesn't know about the history, doesn't understand the context of what's going on and have to deal with it in as a representation of, you know, you're dealing it with a new, uh, a new country, a new culture. It just, it doesn't come out. No, the reason it doesn't come out is because she's not dealing with a situation that has anything to do with British history. If it had been, then I would have been like, for example, there are references to, you know, there's this tree mm-hmm. where they used to hang witches. Never comes up again. Nothing ever happens with that. There are no witches in this story. Nothing goes on. It's just a, a fact. And, and the mystery that she is delving into has nothing to do with British history. It could have happened in the States just as easily. Mm. There's like, there's no inherent Britishness to the mystery. And Katie herself, you know, this is a character who, in the last issue, I'm not going to spoil, but she discovers like this huge personal tragedy and has no reaction at all. No emotional reaction, no depth, no reflexivity, nothing. M- Mike Carey, why, why have you done this? And, and is, you know, is this the, what was that quote from, um, what? Christmas Carol. Are these the shadows of things that must be, or the shadows of things that might be only? Because you got to shape up or ship out. I'm I, not... I, th- I think it's a bump. I, and I, I this could, is bad. I could sort of see this as a two-parter or even as a one-issue story. It's like you know something from Creepy or Eerie. Oh, you come to the Santa house. What is one happening? issue? Yeah, one issue. One like it could have been done in five or six pages. Like the whole twist here is. Not that the ghosts exist, but the reason that they exist. Yeah. Like, and, why they and were And again, killed. if it wasn't so telegraphed, it's it's a fight with... It's coming a mile away. Yeah, again, if it wasn't so telegraphed. It's... Uh, but, uh, this isn't telegraphing. This is like... Standing with a post sign and shouting. Uh, they, he might as well have just written it on the cover of the second issue. Because, like, by then you know. It was mm. just ludicrous. It's like one of these Marvel classic superhero stories from the Silver Age where where it asks, you know, who is this villain attacking the Avengers? And then on the cover you see the the picture of the villain. Who is it? Gee, I wonder. You know, I wouldn't be... I'll be honest. Which Avengers will... Which Avenger will die in this issue? None of them. If this were another writer, like if if this were like Rich Duick or somebody I didn't know, I wouldn't care. I'll be honest. I'd be like, okay, not good. Moving on. I'm angry though. Like... Because I don't want this to be my carry. I don't want this to be the level that my carry is comfortable with. Because suicide risk is mediocre too. And now that I'm like, I'm sitting and I'm thinking about it and it's like, it has, it's starting to be a while since you have demonstrated the skill that we know you have because we've been around for a while. So my carry, I know you're listening. Get back to work. 
This is BS. This is not my carry in any way, shape, or form that I will acknowledge. What a fine, Ugh. fine ending we have for this episode of the Smorgasbord. The end! Happy endings. Yes, here's the twist. I'm not actually Sean. I'm Shike Carey. <laughs> I'm Tom Shapira. And I'm Sean Adrian. <laughs> Until next time. Bon appetit. <laughs> <laughs>